0: Blank, pale, emotionless face And the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, my name is John. Joining me are my co-hosts, Curtis. Hello. And Quinn. Hey, guys. Today is exciting. It's our sixth episode. It's our continuation of our John Carpenter Watch Series. Today, we're going to be talking about the 1978 horror classic, Halloween, before we get into it. So uh, I think we were chatting a little bit before the show. How's everyone doing? I know, Curtis, you just came back from a, a big trip to, it was to Istanbul. You said you had a good time, albeit that seemed like there was a there was a big cultural shock, I guess, coming there compared to some of the other European countries you, you've you frequently visited in the past.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was it was really fascinating. Uh, you know, I saw the, the kind of set piece from the movie Troy, too, like I mentioned last time. And the, the, it was really beautiful, too. I went in a lot, saw a lot of mosques and things. Um, it was a bit of a challenge language-wise because they kind of expected to know Turkish there. But, I mean, the food is amazing. The friends were amazing. You know, and, uh, just, you know it was just a great experience. So I, I hadn't been to that part of the world before. So it was really kind of cool to check out something new and it's just it's so nice to just be able to fly like travel again you know so it's it was kind of
1: really nice cool how's 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 your weekend going quinn i know you've been quite busy like you've got a lot of stuff going on but hopefully you've uh, had some reprieve and last this long weekend
0: definitely yeah yeah no it's just been crazy i'm getting married at the end of the month so just a lot of planning (laughs) a lot of thank you um yeah just a lot of planning a lot of just sort of last minute things and um you know seeing friends and family in between but mostly just yeah dedicated to getting this wedding planned and uh yeah enjoying enjoying our last days of summer before uh spooky fall season that's right yeah
1: it's impro it's approaching yeah that's right yeah for our audience, today's it's September 6th. It's uh today's Labor Day. Uh, it's actually our first time chatting together. It's we took a bit of a break because uh, you know, courtesy vacation, and we've just recently we've been very busy. So it's been I think it's been almost two weeks since we last chatted. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, um, even outside the uh the topic today. So I think for time-wise, we'll try to keep things a little bit punchier. I know our last episode was I think what, anything after two hours is probably too long for you folks, but we're gonna try to keep it somewhat condensed, but we'll see how it goes. It, it might just be a matter of editing it after it posts, but let's get into our topic today. We're talking uh, spooky Halloween. So we're back to Carpenter. If you remember, folks, last episode, we talked about Carpenter's film, Assault on Precinct 13. Um, You know, we liked a lot more than Dark Star and so did pretty much the general public. This was the movie that really, you know, broke out mainstream and and started to really put John Carpenter on the map. And he started getting noticed from folks in Hollywood entertainment. Um, He was approached, uh, initially to work on a horror movie, a slasher film by the producers Erwin Yablans and Mustafa Akkad. Um, they were kind of really inspired by The Exorcist, which had came out and been not only a critical success, but was actually a incredibly popular commercial movie. It did very well uh, for a very kind of serious, intense horror film. And so creating these intense, you know, wildly popular horror films really started to become something very popular in the Hollywood scene. They wanted to sort of get him involved working on this. As I mentioned before, uh, John Carpenter had met Deborah Hill. They had worked together a, a little bit on Salt on Precinct 13, but him and, you know, Deborah Hill at the time was his partner, but also not only his romantic partner, but would become his uh, work partner as well. She was a frequent producer and writer on most of his films. And together they had kind of agreed to do this movie with actually having full creative control over the movie. They really wanted to have kind of, this movie to be like their total work of art. And uh, we're going to get into it, but it really shows in in this. So they started developing the script. There was a lot of names that that were thrown bandied about. Uh, The Babysitter Murders was one of them, kind of a silly title. Uh, And then later they land on Halloween. The uh, carpenter himself said he was really kind of drawn to the idea of doing a movie specifically about the holiday Halloween because you know uh, there's a lot of horror movies out there there's movies about like haunted houses there's movies about spirits or ghosts or people coming back from the dead there's a lot of movies about uh, specifically about Halloween at least at this point in 1978 in the year since there's been you know lots of movies that you know use Halloween or shows and stuff that use Halloween as kind of a setting or or, or part of the story itself but you know the movie Halloween was kind of the first major movie to really Uh, focus specifically on this holiday Uh, a little piece of trivia that I found out while when I was doing like kind of some reading on this movie was that uh, the director of Black Christmas which is you know one of my favorite uh, horror movies I think Curtis it's one of your favorites as well too uh, Bob Clark he actually said that he was approached by Carpenter around this time with the idea of potentially directing a sequel to Black Christmas Um, the way he puts it he says like didn't really go much of anywhere he said like Carpenter had kind of a clear vision for the movie and he said like why don't you just kind of go your own way uh but it's kind of funny to think it about it, a it universe. Max
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's kind of funny to think about a universe where like this has actually released and marketed as like Black Christmas too I'm like that would it would have meant Black Christmas would have been part of like the Halloween franchise, or maybe it would have been called the Black Christmas franchise who knows but um, either way it's kind of funny to think about that however you do see uh certainly Carpenter was influenced by Black Christmas if anyone here is has, listening hasn't hasn't ever watched that movie please check out Black Christmas. Christmas, great horror movie, uh, Canadian as well too, great Canadian horror movie, and it still holds up, it's incredibly good, it's such a, it's, it's, it surprisingly holds up, I was like, wow, this is, some of the tropes in this and story elements, um, are still very relevant today, I was like, really surprised by it, but you could certainly see its DNA in this movie as well too, so the script was actually written pretty quickly, written in 10 days, um, you know, uh, Carpenter was inspired kind of by some of like, you know, the Sam Hain, like the Celtic origins of Halloween, the idea of like this evil, dark figure looming and kind of intruding on this town, and also sort of a town with like a deep, dark secret. And you can kind of see a little bit of that in the story. And then, and we're going to get into the influences, but you can see so much of the influence of the story itself in in other works to come. Uh, Deborah Hill uh, helped co-wrote the screenplay. She actually wrote all the women's dialogue, which is cool. Uh, Carpenter himself spent a lot of his time working on the rest of the dialogue and on the Dr. Loomis character as well, too. Uh, Should note real quick, I'm going to get to the names. Dr. Loomis, Sam Loomis. If you remember last episode, Psycho, that was the name of uh, of Marion Crane's uh, fuck buddy, as I put it. So it's kind of a fun (laughs) little nod to Psycho. Um, The setting is in Haddonfield, Illinois, which is a reference to um, Deborah Hill's hometown, Haddonfield, uh, New Jersey. Uh, Lori Strode, uh, who's played, of course, by the great Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter again of, uh, of Janet Leigh, who is the uh, main kind of protagonist in the last movie we saw. Kind of a little, little kind of cool quirk there that we kind of went from that to this one, especially considering the influences on it. Uh, she's actually named after apparently Carpenter's old uh, girlfriend uh, there's a lot of other names that all come from kind of fun little origins Michael Myers the character Michael Myers um, is a name referring to an English producer who helped uh, when when Assault on Precinct 13 was released in, in Europe he was like a producer that really helped to kind of promote that movie and, and pass it around so it's a little nod to him you know it gets his name, af- name now, after now, now psychotic now, murderer. Now, he, now he's a
2: household name yeah
1: <laughs> yeah for that yeah. or for uh you know being Austin Powers or whatever. Yeah, it's the two of them. <laughs> uh, Tommy Doyle is actually referenced uh, to the Lieutenant Tommy Doyle from Rear Window. So another little Hitchcockian uh, refer- reference there. And uh, even the sheriff, uh, Leigh Brackett, who's the sheriff of this movie, he's uh, he was uh, the name of, shares the name of a screenwriter uh, for Howard Hawks as well, too. And we see another Howard Hawks influence later in this movie as well, too. Um, the Michael Myers character himself, too, again, we're coming out of Psycho where it's, you know, that movie was kind of described as sort of the first like psychoanalytical horror. It's like really about not like even like this monstrous, you know, demonic for it's it's more of like this is like a human with like something going on psychologically. It's trying to kind of put a little bit more of a spin on that. Um, Michael Myers was actually inspired by, you know, we mentioned in their intro episode, talking about Dark Star, we talked a little bit about the origin of John Carpenter. He came from Kentucky, later moving to Southern California. Um, He actually was inspired from his time, you know, living close to psychiatric institutions in Kentucky. And he had visited these places and actually saw people with he kind of described them as having very blank empty stairs and he kind of that really permeated on him and that really helped to influence the character of michael myers it's yeah i mean it's kind of scary to think about you you think back to these old psychiatric institutions back in the you know the pre-80s they, they were they were pretty monstrous places it was pretty much just a place like a prison to keep people who were kind of deemed the unwells of society or whatever and and there's so many movies and stuff that's come out since then that uses these sort of institutions as uh a way to explore kind of these monstrous elements of like the medical community, or just kind of showing how our society really like likes to hide the dark elements of our our culture. So, um, you know, it's we're no stranger to these type of uh, of elements and plot. So the cast itself is pretty cool. They originally it was a low budget movie as well too. Uh, it was only three hundred thousand dollars, which I believe. Um, is similar to Assault on Precinct 13. I think it's a little bit more. Even with inflation, again, I you know I'm trying I'm doing the math in my head 78 to what 2021. I, I can't do that at all in my head, but uh, that's got to be like a million dollars. If that, that's a pretty pretty fairly cheap budget, and uh, they weren't able to get really big names, they wanted Peter Cushing, the great Peter Cushing. They wanted uh, you know Dracula himself, uh, Christopher Lee, to play Loomis. Uh, they weren't able to get them, but they did uh, get Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. Now, you know, his iconic role. Uh, Christopher Lee actually said that that was like one of his biggest regrets was not being Dr. Loomis in Halloween. It was a role that he really wished he had taken. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, uh, as Laurie, I believe she was pretty young in this too. I think she's only like 17 or 18 in this movie, incredibly young. Uh, she was added, Of course, there's obviously that connection, even audiences back then knew, you know, the daughter of Janet Leigh, you know, from Psycho. So it was kind of like a little bit of marketing thing too, to have her in that main, main role. Uh, Nancy Keys as Annie Brackett. She is also uh, Julie in Assault on Precinct 13, so another character coming over from the last movie. Uh, we have the great uh, PJ Souls as Linda. She's also Norma and Carrie, one of my favorites. Uh, she's a, a great uh, a great actress and she's, uh, she, I've, I've, she's, she's kind of like, here it's as comment on like the horror circuit and convention stuff, she's a, she's a fun character. Uh, Nick Castle was the actor who played the physical role of Michael Myers, the shape as it's spilled in the credits uh the, the kids as well too we have brian andrews tommy doyle kyle richards as Lindsay wallace she's actually going to be coming back in halloween kills and i believe playing the same character so it's kind of cool yeah, going to.
2: i think donald donald pleasance was in about what, four
1: of the sequels i think too wasn't he he was in quite a few of them yeah he kind of i mean in this movie jamie lee curtis character is sort of the main character but you know dr loomis if you oh. talk to the whole series the whole franchise he's kind of like the main character who connects everything. He's in a lot of the other movies and he has a pretty active role in some of the sequels, uh, which we'll get into in a bit, but yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a fun figure in this. And I mean, we'll get to talk about the movie in details itself, but Donald Pleasance, he hams it up so much in this movie. It's so funny watching him. I and I forgot how funny it is just to watch. He's so extra in this movie. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the low budgetness of this movie was a concern, but you know, they, the movie had like a really solid script and it was incredibly well storyboarded pretty much every scene from the beginning to end was just like already mapped out. So, um, you know, Carpenter to get this movie made took very low fees. Um, He didn't make much money off the profit, but um, he asked for 10% of the rights uh, for the film's profit. So it ended up being kind of a nice, it's, it reminds me of Lucas where it's like, Oh, I won't, I won't take a big budget for the movie, but I'll have like merchandising rights. Like, okay, fine. And it ends up becoming like working out massively in the favor. Uh, The mask, we got to talk about the Michael Myers mask. Certainly like this is the first movie, uh, that I could think of in the sort of the horror slash gem, subgenre that, you know, gives a character kind of an iconic look and this would be mapped out for movies to come you know the third entry of the final th- Friday the 13th has the, the Jason mask which would become his iconography, Freddie's got the sweater the hat and the, the razor blade hands, um, in this one we get the white. Uh, Captain Kirk mask it's actually modeled after uh, William Shatner's face although it's a little bit distorted it's got like bigger eyes it's not meant to totally just be like ah oh, uh, you know the, it's not meant to totally be him but uh, it was modeled after him After him, that's like one of my favorite little bits of uh, horror trivia I've heard over the years like oh did you know the mask Michael Myers is a uh, supposed to be captain kirk yeah but uh, it's cool because it's like it's such like a humorless faceless visage it's almost especially when we're going into the movie s- summary of the movie itself like there's scenes where you see it from far away it almost is like looking at a ghost like looking at like kind of a ghoul um so it has a very monstrous scary element to it um the filming of this movie it was filmed in 20 days in uh, may of 78 uh, filmed of course with steady cam so we get a lot of like long extended sequences and it's it's really great in this especially some of the scenes in the suburbs where they're going down the pathways um some great shots there filmed um, mostly in california and pasadena uh alhambra and sierra madre so around a uh, sort of suburban california he had actually uh carpenter's uh in an interview with Jean lee curtis she said like carpenter when it came to kind of filming some of the scariest scenes in this movie had actually used like a what he called like a a, a film meter so he'd say like oh this this scene is like a five, so you're going to have to give me a five in like the terror scale or like this scene's going to be like a nine. So it was like she was able to kind of map her own, reactions and facial reactions to like this level so it's uh it, it's kind of interesting to look at it that way from a direction side it's like quantifying like the scary elements of the movie like oh this scene's this is like a four moment this is like an eight moment it's kind of interesting to think about that uh and Jean Lee Curtis herself I don't think um I, I mean I don't really know much about her early filmography but I, I don't think this was she was much of an a you know a detailed actress at this point I think this was like one of her you know certainly one of her earliest roles if not her first big role and uh I, I mean I think we're gonna get into our thoughts later but I think she did a pretty great job as well too so we're almost at the summary I just want to talk we have to talk about the music because I mean this has got the iconic it's got that great score another great synth score by Carpenter the iconic iconic you know that 5-4 piano synth theme Um, it's also very much inspired by the music in The Exorcist certainly also uh, the band Goblin you know who frequent and you know they did the soundtrack for Suspiria and a lot of the Argento films um, if you listen, watch those movies, you could see very much the same. Yeah, the Giallo, influence. Yeah, Gialo, right Gialo,
2: Gialo influence yeah too.
1: It, it, it definitely has that sort of Giallo sound to it. Um, and the the day actually didn't it didn't take very long to compose. I mean, Carper is kind of banged this one out in three days. I mean, I I've had music projects that took me way longer than that when I was like in high school. But uh, yeah, he banged it out in three days. And um, outside of the score itself, and I mean, even the the you know we have, we we know the notable title sequence, but there's so many great moments. Like the Laurie theme is so good. Um, uh, the scene where you know the Michael the scene where the the, the shape attacks like the dunna, dunna, like it's so good. Uh, the whole soundtrack all the way through is, is got some great flourishes. There's also some other songs of the film, notably don't F- don't fear the reaper. Whether smoking a joint in the car, I thought yeah. that made me yeah. laugh watching that. I love that moment. Um, the film was actually filmed pretty collaboratively. Like uh, the cast actually helped the crew like move cameras and stuff around. It was very much like a low budget DIY. Uh, type of setup and but it's fun because it kind of shows it's a very small cast surprisingly small cast i think there's only like about eight or nine major characters in this film i think it's it's it's, it's pretty stripped down and um and i think to its benefit so uh let's just go over the story so we start off with that bumpin title sequence the boop, 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 boop. Oh, it's so good with the pumpkin the glowing pumpkin um it's such a great uh, fun way to start the movie setting the tone with the The Halloween iconography. It's a spooky, scary Halloween night. And it's just, it's very groovy. Uh, It starts off in the past in 1963 Halloween nights in Haddonfield, Illinois. We get the view of this character watching uh, this woman uh, in a house with her boyfriend. They're Mac and they're making out, you know, they're having a great time. Uh, Their parents are at home. So they're 60s teens. What else are they going to do? They're going upstairs to have sex. (laughs) And and this character is like watching and heavy breathing and go and he's, he's watching later sees the guy leave the house he goes upstairs sneaks up the woman her name's judith is you know she's pretty i think she's like naked she's undressed she's you know she just had sex she's with her, top up, of, yeah yeah and she turns around she's like michael what are you doing we find out michael's her brother like oh that's weird but uh, earlier he pulled, he had grabbed the knife from the kitchen, all of a sudden stabs her to death. Very much like a non-all yeah, from his, his point of view, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's all shot from his point of view. And then we later get the police coming, they take on um, the, the knife and the mask away. And who, who is it? It's a six-year-old kid. I forgot how ambiguous that was. Like it's it's not really known at the start of the movie. It's shot in a way where you're just like, Oh, it could just be like her teenage brother, like something like that, or an adult. Um, yeah. but it's it's not really revealed until that moment where the mask comes off, where it's just this cute little cherub-faced six year old boy. And it's, uh, even the way that the sh- it zooms out, it's almost like a stage play. And there's so many scenes in this that are, that are filmed like- Yes, like, it's like very a play.
2: theatrical. Even like, it, even like
1: Donald Pleasence kind of soliloquies it reminds me of like Shakespeare sometimes a little bit, or like some, yeah, it's, some spooky it, play or something. It's so extra. And the scene where the camera pans out, like they're all kind of freeze-framed. It's really, uh, really interesting. And uh yeah, there's obviously the parallel to Psycho with the knife murder. And also Black Christmas with that POV sequence. Some people talked about this movie as kind of being the transition from like, the 70s, like, exploitation, kind of early horror, classic horror. Uh, well, Psycho like was kind of described the same, same way, kind of the transition from, like, the classic horror of, like, the 40s and 50s to, like, the modern era, and this is sort of, again, the transition from, like, the 70s, kind of brutal exploitation, all the, to like, the 80s slashers, mm-hmm. and it, it's, I, I you mean, watch this scene, it, there's a lot of the other scenes in this don't really feel like this. It's very, like, you know, cam, uh, claustrophobic, um, and it's, it does kind of feel like you could really feel the Black Christmas influence in this part of the movie. But anyways, we fast forward to BAM, we're the day before October 30th, 1978. Um, we have Dr. Loomis driving with uh, his colleague, Marion Chambers. They're a, arriving at the sanitarium where Michael Myers has been you know, living for 15 years to uh, escort him to the court for a hearing. There's a great moment here where he's chatting with his colleague and they're talking about kind of, you know, Michael Myers himself. And like kind of like the criminal justice system, and man, Doctor Loomis is not having it. Again, if if we're talking about you know more characters with ambiguity and are they truly evil or good, you know Doctor Loomis is on the side of you know Michael is this monstrous character, and I think Curtis, you said really well. He's he's given these like Shakespearean soliloquies, like so well said about like, uh, and there's like it, it's it's a pretty scary moment. Like they're driving through the fields, uh, they're coming to the sanitarium, and you look out, and there's like this field of just people walking around at night. It's like pitch black, raining. And I don't remember the exact details. I think he says like, Oh, they just let him out to like walk around. Um, to me, this kind of felt like a really clear nod to like Romero, like night of the living dead. Like they almost look like zombies just kind of stumbling around in the, uh, yeah. And the, the, the psychiatric,
2: psychiatric ward is a creepy place, you know, like it's just, yeah. you know, the, 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 psychiatrists are weird. And like the patients are who knows where, like it's, it's like a jungle out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's pretty wild. And so, uh, yeah, Michael, they're, they're coming back. Uh, they're, uh, they're going to pick up michael and you know loomis is really hoping like the outcome of this hearing is that like michael Myers will just never be released he's adamant that he should never be released to the public that he is a ever since he arrived as a six-year-old he saw him as this vacant character it's with like emo. black dolls uh, yeah <laughs> black doll's eyes and uh, so um but during this sequence they pull over michael steals the car from them it's a pretty scary moment where he kind of reaches in he's grabbing like his colleague's hair but she's able to get away Pretty scary moments. Michael Myers takes the car, drives away. I gotta say, Michael Myers has been locked up since he was six for 15 years, already knows how to like drive, presumably like a manual. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got pretty good skills he just like peels away like uh like he didn't just drive right into His, his, right his like his so. like supernatural intuition maybe i don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's like chokyo drifting around quarters so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but on his way back to hanfield he kills a, a guy and a mechanic uh, we're going to see a scene later where dr loomis kind of is there's kind of two plots going on there's like the whole story with Lori and the teenagers and then there's this whole dr loomis kind of Cat, cat and mouse chase where he's trying to kind of find michael or, or find out what's going on and as we see later he finds that michael has abandoned the car he's driven into haddonfield and and it killed someone along the way um uh, when michael returns home of course he steals he breaks into this like hardware store where he steals a this white mask i'm like they sell these like captain kirk masks at hardware stores but i guess halloween so they're selling everything but takes the masks and then you know that brings us to Lori. Uh, Lori strode she's a high school student um She's walking with a, a boy. She babysits Tommy. Um, she's dropping a key off at this abandoned Myers house. That's her dad is like a real estate agent. He's trying to sell the house. Um, the Myers house, you know, it's a clear reference to like psycho with the Bates manor. And we're going to see in like Michael stomping Grants, or even like his cabin more specifically in the, in the nightmare on Elm streets, we have like the uh, Kruger house, which is, you know, the, the house of Nancy and her family in the first one. And then, uh, with the character in the second movie and so forth. It's kind of a character of itself in the movies. And you know we see that in, in, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, we have kind of like the family house as well too. Um, so that's sort of a trip that comes up over and over again in these horror franchises. Like they all have these like scary house that's like, oh, we don't go there. This is where the, the events happened. And it kind of recurs over and over again well, in the movies.
2: Just uh, thinking about uh, Dr. Loomis too, I wonder what you guys think too. We talked about the psychiatric war is kind of this really creepy place where there's like no, nothing getting done. I don't, do you think the film kind of critiques this kind of uh, psychiatric care and kind of the psychiatrist because even like even Michael Myers like I mean Dr. Loomis is like one of the heroes of the film but I mean in some ways you know is he a good psychiatrist I don't know like I mean you know my patient is
0: evil you know like what do you guys think about? that because I was kind of thinking about that when I was watching it too I was like well I think critique? oh I think the I think the best part about Loomis's character though in that regard is that like he's kind of like, take my word for it. Like he's art, like he's, he is crazy. And like, I'm pretty much the only one who's like studied him. So like, I know, so like that gives the viewers and like, especially like considering the movie is only an hour and a half. So like they kind of have to get into it and you're like, so you're already like, it's the fear of the unknown before it, it kind of kicks off. And like, obviously when he does take the car, you're like, okay, this guy's not fucking around. You know what I mean? hmm so it's, it, I, I think they did a really good job with Loomis's sort of, like, his, yeah, his sort of, like, seriousness in it. So, like, you already you already believe him. You know what I mean? You, you do believe that, like, he is his most psychotic patient,
1: right? Mm. Yeah. I, I think when you put it good, like, there's a lot that's not, not said. Like, we don't really know the history that's yeah. been happening years prior. And so right away, like, this character that we're supposed to perceive and respect as an authority right away is like, I have a history and like, he should not be trusted. But there is a lot of, I think there is some critique to his character as well. Like there's a scene where I'm gonna get into, we talk about the story, like when they're going to the graveyard where the do- the police officer's like, listen, if you are correct, that sh- then shame on you for letting them out it's kind of like you know what what is the status of this institution they escape from like we don't know like mm. maybe it was like an abusive place and we don't really know much there are the yeah. sequ- later sequels kind of play into like what this place is about and but in this movie we don't really know much about it but uh yeah. you know there is a little bit of you know the, the i i kind of i don't know i don't know so much about the institution itself but i think like you know the idea of kind of this place in suburbia and I think this movie is really about kind of yeah the, and this is comes up in like the, the the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is sort of like the horror within kind of Americana suburbia it's like this yeah this there, there is no, there, miles there is... away from this idyllic place and how yeah. some like very small tragedy or some uh, someone could escape and, and cause havoc like that. How much of what we perceive as like safe Americana might not yeah. be as safe as you think about it. It's based on a series of circumstances or-
2: There is, there is like no that. rehabilitation. You're just trapped inside all day. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. skipping ahead, but it was a scene that really struck me that I totally forgot watching when they're going to the graveyard to find out, uh, to see that you know he's dug up Judy, Judith Myers' grave. There's a scene where the care hes walking with the caretaker, Dr. Lewis, and the sheriff. Or I think it's just him with the, sh- the caretaker. And the caretaker's like, "This reminds me a lot of like back in my hometown, Charlie Bowles." And he's kind of telling this little story about this character who presumably, like, I, I can't remember the exact details, but I think it's like he discovered like someone was having an affair, and and it's implied like a murder happened. But he cuts him off, and he's like, "Oh, like there it is. There's the gravesite." And I-, I was really struck by that scene, like for a few reasons. Like to me it's again getting its idea of like Americana it's like this isn't isn't just an isolated incident this Michael Myers thing there are Michael Myers all over the U.S. and they've all done horrible acts it's such like a minor scene where this kid is like oh yeah this reminds me of this totally other separate movie worthy scary story and it's just like totally wet swept aside but I was like wow it's like this this is a violent universe where scary things happen but it's it's not really like stated upon so I thought that was a kind of a really interesting moment uh, getting back to just kind of the beginning like Lori, she's a great i mean like jane lee curtis is great as Lori and, and I, I have nothing but great stuff to say you know we meet her friends annie and linda They're i, I really like their dynamic they're really fun and, and like, they're st- like they're not like they're not like a lot of the, the the teen slash movies to come you know really like feel like they're punching down on a lot of like yeah did you I, I thought i found andy was really
2: annoying at least for me like watching she's not a
1: great friend no she's <laughs> uh, kind of a dick i was watching like, with natalie yeah i was watching my girlfriend she's like, I'm like she's what's not a more good important she's what's like, when,
2: what's more important like dating or your friend like i mean come on yeah yeah she's <laughs>
1: just like being mean to her like being like kind of like uh passive aggressive to her i was like not really a great friend yeah, but it's, well, it's like well, maybe, well
2: maybe i called your boyfriend you know it's like oh yeah
1: well wow, she's being a little passive aggressive it did add to the realism because i'm like that's how a lot of like Kids who are like maybe friends, but not really. That's how people interact. Like there's a lot of snide. Like it, it felt very yeah. realistic. And I felt I, totally did like a, <laughs> I did like their dynamic. Like it was pretty fun. There was a lot of like kind of a jovial back and forth with their dialogue. And it's very snarky. And you know, it's not really punching down like a lot of these like horror movies to come that are influenced by, you know, Halloween. They have kind of their own ensemble cast modeled after like Lori, Annie, and Linda. I find the characters tend to be they're a lot, they, they're feeling a lot intentionally like dumbed down or like, you could tell a director's trying to be like, you know, these people suck or, he's, or maybe maybe in a self-aware way, but oftentimes it, it kind of comes across as a little bit like overtly misogynistic or just mean, mm. but to hear they they just felt very realistic and fun and like, I, yeah. I'm like, these are kids, like, I would like to hang out with, like, they seem like chilling, <laughs> even though like a lot of the horror scholars, when they talk about Lori as like this virginal final girl character, like, she's not really like that, like, she's like smoking a joint with her friend in a car, she's just yeah. more of a character who's focused on like high school, like school. she's yeah. very shy you know, we, we see that she clearly, like, has feelings for a character, one of the boys in her school, but, like, otherwise, she's, yeah. she just seems very kind of in her own place, she's very well, shy, she's not outgoing, but she's no. otherwise, like, not like, this holier-than-thou, you know, yeah, so,
2: Not sanctimonious yeah. or anything, yeah. I, yeah I, I, exactly. find, too, I find, too, when scholars talk about, like, the original qualities of the character, too, I think they're kind of missing the point, too, because I think, you know, they, they, there's nothing moralistic about the, the serial killers, they kill, like, people having sex because they're more vulnerable, you know, they're naked without their clothes and they don't have anything to protect them, you know, and, and you know
1: so it's always weird with it but that. yeah Yeah so uh, there's a great scene of course Michael Myers is following her and her friends what what I totally like I you know I've rewatched this movie last year just like Seiko I had been very long since I've seen it but you know the whole time Michael Myers has the mask on and when you see him driving around town looking you see him with that cloaked face on but if yet we haven't the audience hasn't seen him close up yet with the mask on so if you don't really like know what's going on you're kind of like what is that weird it's almost like this very mysterious paranormal aspect and you know and I think Michael's character in general has a lot of kind of paranormal energy to him like it's yeah, not absolutely. like totally and i mean the ending kind of confirms that but it's like is this character even real is he yeah is he really a human is there is there is there some sort of energy or spirit going on yeah it's very interesting because he doesn't that. talk
2: either so he has this kind of like almost like uh dem- demonic or kind of maybe like dark fairy kind of qualities yeah too. he's not like he's not like well jason doesn't talk either but i mean like freddy's always making jokes but i mean yeah, those, yeah. this kind of slasher like this iconographic kind of slasher boogeyman always have those kind of this kind of kind of dark supernatural energy in a weird weird way
1: yeah and we see that the characters that come like jay said in the Friday the movies, it's it's like a joke a trope in of itself, where like he turns and he's teleported like behind you. you no, know, Michael <laughs> Myers moves through space Ch- and time. Chop, chop like. off his
2: arm and his arm grows back. It's
1: like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and a couple of nods to other movies. I noticed, you know, there's a scene where you know Laurie's kind of daydreaming off, and, and it's a great shot where it's zooming mm-hmm. in on her and her desk, and her teacher's like droning on and on. You know, that scene to me, I, I, re- I, I a movie that I really that came out uh, just a few years ago. It follows. There's a scene just like that in follows, where characters kind of daydreaming out the window. And sees kind of a, a character looming. Um, there's a lot of it. If, I mean, it follows the movie that's almost like totally aping Halloween and Carpenter. Yes. And you see a lot of, in that movie, a lot of nods to this movie, even scenes of like Michael Myers coming up the staircase, very much shot in that way. Also, the Behind the Bushes scene where like, she sees Michael from far away and he kind of sneaks away and her friends runs up. It's like, Oh, he wants to ask you on a date. It's filmed very much. If you've seen Mahalan drive where he's telling the story about the yeah. his dream, it's very much the shot, the same way, where he's kind of looming approaching. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool nod in a, in a future movie. Um, so Loomis arrives in Hadfield as mentioned, he's looking for Michael. He, him and a gravedigger, they find that he's dug up Judas tombstone the tombstone's missing. And, um, he then meets with, you know, Annie. Her character. Her father is the sheriff, Lay Brackett. There's like, great scene with her and Annie. You're driving up, and they see that the dad. Oh, put up the put up the joint. Like he, they open the window. Like he, obviously he would smell like just like they were hot box in the car. But otherwise, you know, cool daddy just plays it off. He's like, whatever. I'm not gonna make a big deal out of it. But uh, Loomis meets the sheriff character. He tells him like what's going on. So you know they go to the, they go to the house to investigate <laughs> Loomis finds like a bunch of kids like at the door knocking he's like scram go away <laughs> he's like yelling they're just like oh like the kids take off I'm like I oh, know it's not really that scary but uh you know that's where he tells like the sheriff like we have to take this seriously because Michael is this monstrous character who and I love how the sheriff like he earlier when he sees Laurie and Annie's like oh yeah this uh Michael Myers broke in and he took like a mask and some rope and two knives. We're not really that concerned about, it. like, you just seem very nonchalant. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's just like, oh, I just took like tape, knives, rope, uh, like all the materials a killer would need uh, if they were going like, to murder people. But uh, yeah, you know, we're not uh, that that all hands on deck for it. But uh, maybe that maybe that in of itself is sort of like a criticism of kind of infectual policing. Uh, certainly, yeah. like, again, Nightmare has a lot of tropes to this. And Nightmare, the, a lot of the details of that movie are kind of the police are useless in this kind of realm yeah. of this horror that's above them and they're kind of just they're making things harder for the characters they're kind of interfering and in some cases putting the characters in peril bringing their um, own pers-
2: personal baggage you know to a lot of times yeah yeah
1: exactly um so the Myers house i think i said yeah myers house itself is kind of like a nod to the beats manor and you know the trope of all those horror locations uh so they're patrolling the streets um that night of course Lori is babysitting you know her friends uh annie's house next door she's also babysitting the girl lindsay but her friend Linda and, her, and Linda's boyfriend are going to be coming over to hang out and you know have sex. Uh, but Lori's stuck at home, she can't go to any parties, she's babysitting Tommy. But you know, again, she's like this very mat- maternalistic figure, she, they're having a great time, they're like watching movies. Uh, you know, he's reading comic books that he shouldn't be reading, and it's great because <laughs> he has a and- stack underneath the bed, the, yeah, the yeah, couch, he pulls, yeah. like He pulls it out against like Playboys, and it's just like it's just like <laughs> Astro Boy and like whatever it's Electric Man, it's like these like silly uh comic books. But uh, it, some really great shots here. Tommy looks at the window and sees Michael staring from afar. There's so many great shots of Michael far away as this cloaked figure. And this starts off, you know, him thinking it's the boogeyman this boogeyman motif that keeps reoccurring. Again, it it is like Michael is almost like the boogeyman. He's almost this paranormal force of almost like a fairy tale in of himself, like this kind of folklore figure that, you know, just kind of moves between space and time. And he doesn't seem to be like uh, restricted to the same material bounds that we are. Uh, it's kind of funny because uh tommy's watching the thing and so is Lindsay next door uh, it's cool because like, this is howard hawks the thing howard hawks of course um a huge influence for carpenter you know salt precinct 13 is very much influenced by aping rio bravo also watching the thing which he would later of course direct the now the remake that's almost usurped the original the thing most people when you say the thing think of the carpenter 80s flick not the uh original although the original one's a great horror classic horror as well too but pretty fun that these like, things it's like just, it's like
2: Scarface too you know you'd always think of the remake rather than the original you know
1: yeah and typical right. kids you know typical Gen Z millennials are just watching TV they're just on their screens they're not paying attention to what's going on you know these kids are just like watching movies the whole time like uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Michael of course uh is following them he goes to spy on annie he actually kills the dog there's a lot of dog deaths in this movie he kills the dog pretty sad moment you know for yeah people who love their dogs like oh rest in peace but uh again we're getting more of that paranormal michael myers yeah. energy like there's doors this, that just kind of it, open and close the Things dogs are the of... dogs dogs
2: are always kind of victims too aren't they in these these supernatural films the poor dog always dies <laughs> like
1: yeah it's but it's sad. also rare for a dog sometimes to die in some of these movies mm-hmm. like i know friday the 13th part two did kind of like a a little bit of a red herring where you see a dead dog in the movie like oh that was Jason who did it and then like later the dog that you think got killed appears like oh he's not that bad at least he doesn't kill dogs he just murders teenagers but he doesn't kill little pets and that sort of thing so he's not bad
0: I wonder if that uh, I wonder if Halloween was sort of like that aspect of it was influential to other movies like like two movies that come to my mind is obviously John Wick with his dog but then also like uh, Secret Window too with uh, John Turturro and uh, Johnny Depp,
1: I've never seen and... Secret Window, but I have seen Joe Oh, It's, Lake, it's but... great. Secret you Window You should check great.
0: Secret Window out. Very yeah, good. Yeah, I def- I definitely. I loved it, yeah.
1: I feel like dogs yeah. are often, like, again, it's almost like a level too far of, of like, evil. It's like, you know, dogs are even in their, even in the realm of Americana and suburbs and idyllic areas that, you know, shouldn't exist in the natural world the people are the ones that are the real people that are involved, you know, they're the ones that either cause a trauma that initiates the horror, or they're the ones involved in what's going on, and they're the ones victimized, so even if it's horrible and monstrous, it makes sense in the context of the universe, but, you know, we see animals as innocents, they're not involved whatsoever, they're just, you know, the dog was just like, I'm gonna go eat some food and lay down on my couch, and when, when they're victimized in this manner, it's, it's like, a bridge too far and it makes like, it's a way of kind of showing like the the evil villains, the monsters as being truly monstrous or truly evil and uncaring. So uh, I feel like that's kind of where that might be getting at, but uh, yeah, certainly that trope again, comes up in a lot of, as you mentioned, other films to come that kind of use, you know, pets being, you know, attacked or murdered as sort of like a way to really explore that horror. so it's a really great sequence. Michael Myers, of course, uh, kill he's in the car. It's it's so great because so many moments where you think he's just going to pop out with a knife and stab Annie or whatever. It's such a very long overdrawn shot. There's so many moments where she even like walks back to the house, you know, the phone rings. She's like, you know, Lind, like, Lindsay, get the phone. And you think, like, that would be a moment where Michael Myers would come up and kill her. No, like, Lindsay does get the phone, comes up and visits her. She's stuck in the, the freaking window. She's, like, bent over, like, pants down. I'm like, this is a odd scene, but gets her out of the window. She's like, don't tell anyone. Like, why would you be worried about being stuck in a window? But it's whatever, it's a silly moment. But then um, she gets in the car to uh, to take off, and that's where Michael is. That's where he pops up. Such such a great sequence, because you, you just don't expect him to actually show up in that moment in the car and it's all the kills are filmed in a very almost sexual way. Like the way he's choking his victims, they're very gaspy. I mean, we're going to get that moment later with, with Linda, where, you know, she's like, Oh, it sounds like she's like orgasming on the phone and like, Lori's like, come on. But uh, you know, he's using his hands. He's choking his victims. We hear his heavy breathing all throughout the movie. He's breathing intensely and all these scenes are usually, um, you know, Per, you know ended with a, a knife at the end and also i'm getting some uh, scary aesthetic it's actually hailing out here i'm getting a bunch of green and hail so hello oh, wow. if, if you hear some noise on my mic that's what it is i'm right by my big bay window, So wow it's really sunny here sunny. you get we got clear blue
2: skies and i think mean, plus uh 26 so that's pretty good <laughs> yeah
1: we're getting a, a big storm right now pretty fun wow uh, so it's just it's just adding to the spooky aesthetic. yeah pathetic pathetic fallacy a little bit of pathetic <laughs> policy, yeah so uh so L- L- Annie was killed, of course, but uh, Linda and her boyfriend show up there in the truck. They've just been drinking beers. They open the truck door; beers are spilling out. It's pretty funny. It's just like uh, you know, it's a it's a little anachronistic moment that you know when kids would be like, "Whoa, what?" You could they're drinking in the car, but you know mm-hmm. back then it was uh, maybe perhaps considered not as a uh, big of a of a social faux pas. But um, they go inside the house. They're like, "Where is everyone? Where are the kids?" Uh, they suspect they like went next door or left. You know, they're checking the lights. No one's home. They're like, okay, let's go up and bang. So they go up, have sex. Apparently it's great, great for both of them. They both seem pretty satisfied. Uh, it's pretty funny, like the back and forth. Linda's like telling her boyfriend, like, go get me a beer. And she's like being playfully playful with him. And, you know, he leaves to go get a beer. And that's when he's confronted with Michael Myers. Again, like a supernatural force of boogeyman just lifts him up with no effort whatsoever with one hand choking him out. And then just stabs them to the wall with the knife. Uh, the, so many uh, the shadowing in this again it, it reminded me a lot of a self precinct 13 where we get the interior mm. claustrophobic black really great shadow shadow range and we see it so well in the scene. It adds it's just a, it's just a regular kitchen but it, it just looks so much more you know foreboding and monstrous. We've already seen it earlier in the movie where the lights on and it, it felt very safe and welcoming, um, but later now it's it's a place of, of true danger and you know, we get that great sequence when, you know, she's in her bed, you know, she's, I think she's smoking a cigarette or joint and she's having a beer. And, uh, Michael Myers walks up with like the, the, the like the bed sheet on with the sunglasses. I'm like, what's with the sunglasses? He looks like cousin it or whatever from the, uh, yeah. from the Adams family. Yeah. <laughs> but she thinks, uh, you know, she thinks this Bob like stop teasing me, Bob, what the hell? And then she calls, uh, she calls, uh, Lori to talk to her She's talking to Lori. Lori picks up the phone. That's when Michael Myers, you know, pulls up behind her, choking her with the phone cord. You know, she's going, eh, 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 and like, you know, she answers the phone and all she hears is like moaning like, uh. uh and she's just like, come on. Like, are you fooling around? Are you messing with me? And uh, yeah, pretty scary moment. He's choking her to death and then he stabs her as well too and killing her. Um, so that's sort and I, I found like, yeah, again, the death it's all strangulation and ended with knives. It feels very, again, it's, it's a lot of these, the trope of the slasher movies is sort of like men victimizing women oftentimes, done in a lens of kind of male sexual violence, like in Friday the 13th part two, tons of closeups with this like very phallic knife uh, chasing after characters it's it's done in a very intentional way and it, or, it kind of really or like slumber party massacre too where it has a like drill and it's, you know it's it could be more phallic you know it's just yeah it's such a, it's, such a dick you know yeah and carpenter <laughs> kind of really didn't see it that way like people talked about this movie as like the, the origin of this tropes and he didn't really describe it that way to him it wasn't really about that but i mean again it's like death of an author you can yeah, for, create Freud, something i would say otherwise <laughs> yeah you can create something and you could say that's not my intention that wasn't the theme i was going for but yeah. if everyone else you know adopts it it kind of takes on its own life as it is so i also found annie's house we're gonna get into it especially when laurie comes in to check it out it's it, it looks just like the Bates house like the staircase going up the staircase it looks shot for shot just like uh when uh the officer with the private investigator goes up to check out on uh you know norman's mother in, in psycho it's 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 almost shot very very much the same thing there's also a great moment after this where uh you know laurie's trying to gonna leave to find out what's going on she answers the phone of course uh, Tommy is like hanging out with Lindsay because they uh Lindsay left and went next door she dropped her off there um so they're watching movies together and Tommy gets up to like sneak up on it's it's sort of like it's going to kind of foreshadow later where Michael Myers is sort of stalking Laurie but it's like he's kind of hiding behind the curtains playing the role of like the boogeyman and that's where again he sees Michael Myers uh carrying Annie's body into the house like really great scary there's so many great faraway shots of that house where we just see like little moments like that going on little things that you know are very terrifying you're like what is going on And that's that ambiguity you know these characters would be feeling um so of course meanwhile Dr. Loomis he discovers the stolen car it's it's in it's in the 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 road it's in the town so he's like oh Michael Myers is is nearby and he begins to walk walk up and down the street searching what's going on um Laurie of course is suspicious with what's going on she crossed the street goes next door um goes up the staircase opens the door and finds you know I think it's Annie or that's yeah, Annie. She's like split, st- stretched out, in like kind of a, a cross with the Judith Myers headstone. Oh, it's framed in such a scary way. Like it's just like you don't really know what to expect, and then it, you know you feel. You, and, and again, we're, this is sort of the beginning of the the full crescendo, the full uh, climax of this movie, which is the final sequence between the confrontation between Laurie and Michael Myers. uh You know, Michael. Uh, you know, and it's it's Michael is just pop up really way like boo. He's he's. He's lumbering in the closet. He's like the shadowy figure. We see her. She kind of lays back. You know, she's, she's very traumatized. She's seen her friends murdered. She's laying against the, the closet kind of. I'm like moving my head here. She's kind of like this. And we see like the shadow face of Michael kind of pan. And it's a great moment. And she's like stumbling away. and He sneaks up and stabs her, but misses, hits her arm. Um, she she lets lets out these are uh, fucking terrifying screams. Apparently, like Jamie Lee Curtis had never screamed before, like at least like in that manner until this movie. So when they asked her like scream, like she did it, and now she's regarded as sort of like the, 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 the scream queen. Screen yeah, queen. yeah, she is the scream yeah. queen, and and she's in the scream she, queen show as well too. Like that's kind of her whole her whole shake. And she's, I mean, she's great. Like some really intense physical acting, and and it's really terrifying watching her. The, the whole sequence from the, this now to the end of the movie is basically her running away from Michael, and it's framed like him as this kind of relenting force just 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 the act of him walking across the street to, towards her is, is so terrifying and you know she leaves she runs out of the house she's screaming help 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 she goes to her neighbor's house knocking the door the lights are on and they just turn off the lights and close the blinds i'm like what another another <laughs> criticism of americana it's like this safe white neighborhood and like, they don't want to actually be involved in anything it's funny because yeah you know a Complacent, lot of movies, compla- western complacency yeah, and a lot of movies portray like, and this is sort of like a crit- critique of suburbia as a whole. But like a lot of movies portray like the horror and like in the forest, you're by yourself. There's no one around, no one to help mm-hmm. you. But again, it's like this movie is kind of the first of its of its time. And later, like Nightmare would do it too, to feature suburbia as being isolating. You don't really know your neighbors. Your neighbors don't come up to talk to you. You're you're in an area surrounded by hundreds, potentially thousands of people and you don't see anyone everyone's indoors they don't go outside it it is like an isolating place and it can't almost as much as like a spooky forest in the middle of nowhere uh, so she leaves she goes to the house you know she tells and she's so great as, 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 a, as a character you know she's not like you know screaming and falling over she's very self-assured she's like get she's inside very, like, she's very resourceful the door. yeah yeah and uh, she goes in the living room to take a breather at the couch, but she sees the windows open. Michael's come inside. Oh, it's so terrifying. And you really feel her scary. She's like crying and then mumbling to herself. And you can hear Michael Myers breathing over the couch. The, we see him reach over with the, to, to, to grab her. And she grabs the sewing needle. bam, gets him in the eye, stabs him in the eye. You're like, Oh, Michael Myers done. He's done for the day. He's Or no, it's in the neck rather not in the eye. He gets in the neck, pulls it out, but he just drops like a bag of potatoes on the floor. And, uh, so, uh, you know, she takes, she, she goes upstairs to the kids are upstairs. They're locked in there in their rooms. Uh, she knocks the door, tells them, you know, everything's fine. And, uh, the kids come out and they hug her. She's like, said, like, you know, the boogie He's like, they're like, is that the boogeyman? He's like, the bo- that was the boogeyman, but I stopped him. The boogeyman's dead. It's okay. And, and the whole time we see her from her perspective talking, we see Michael Myers coming up the staircase uh, and the kids just freak out and oh my god like that this part of the movie towards the end is so good like if i it's one of those moments if I'm, on, if I'm on tv and this 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 part of the movie's on i'm watching the rest of it it's so it's so scary watching this like the reactions from the kids are so scary that like their screams and yells feel so real and right away she's like go inside hide and she goes in her room you know there's there's not no one else to help her we get that great pulsating synth score from carpenter um she they, they go into the room she hides in the closet Michael's Meyer, Michael, Mike Myers, the shape breaks into the room. He's looking around for her. She had like locked the uh, the closet door and tied it up, but it's like a very flimsy kind of frame closet door. Pull out closet door, and uh, you know Michael Myers is able to break in earlier in the movie. Like she, she closes the door to keep Michael out, and she he punches his arm through the door. This guy's got monstrous strength. He could just. Break through things that normally he's been doing, some, do. he's been doing some boxing in the, yeah. in the psych <laughs> yeah, ward, too. You know, he's been working out. Yeah, he's like he's jacked in there, I guess. Lifting, but, lifting uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh you know, Michael Myers, he breaks in the closet. He's going to grab Lori, but Lori's pretty resourceful. Again, she grabs like a wire hanger. She's twisting yeah. it. He's able to create, make a prison shank in a very short window of time. Good for her. Michael My, Myers, My, My, Michael Myers, UFC. <laughs> Yeah, and then she reaches up and shanks him. I I don't remember if she gets him in the eye or she gets him somewhere. Yeah, she hits him in the eye. Or yeah, because I think that's. I might be mixing up with Halloween too, where there's like the blood coming down. Yeah, (laughs) I, I can't remember exactly, but she gets him. Michael Myers is down for the count. He falls over. He's dead. She opens the door. He's laying there. Another great little quiet horror moment. You're like, you don't know if he's dead or not. Like, any in another movie, a character would step over and he would reach out and grab her, and that would be it. But you know, she she makes her way around, and you know, she's just gone through a really traumatic experience. She sits down. She's like taking up moment to breathe. She's collecting herself. And in the background, we see like, like the Undertaker himself, just Michael Myers sitting up. There's a really great, I should tell her, say to our audience right now, if you're on YouTube uh, or if you go on YouTube, if you search up like a Halloween, the final scene, there's actually a scene someone did where they took audio recording from the original 1978 theatrical uh, in the theater audio and they actually mapped it to the the video. So it's such a cool moment because you're actually hearing the audience reaction back at 78 where you see Michael sit up and you hear the crowd just going, ah! Like screaming and everyone's like losing their mind and they're just like turn uh, around. that's such a that's such a cool shot too because it's like he's in the fade out and then he like, you could just see him you know yeah so so much of horror movies too is actually seeing it with people in a dark room in a theater like you have such a more visceral reaction experience where you're when you're in a crowd of people and you yeah, see absolutely. like see where michael sits up and everyone in the theater is like screaming their ass off like turn around yeah. it adds to the the horror intention and so, it's still it like
2: when i watched uh, i watched jacob's ladder at mayfair a couple years ago yeah. i love that movie and there's that scene that that's just, that's the movie that started the shaking head thing. And I don't know why, but that just scares the shit out of me. It's it's done so simply, but it just it's so scary. You see it everywhere now, in like Silent Hill games and yeah, it's a little it's a little thing. It's you
1: know, <laughs> it's had a pretty long lasting like like influence on kind of horror uh, iconography and, and tropes there. Uh, so of course, Lori's taken down. Michael, she leaves, and it's such a great it's it's shot so well. Michael is up, but he doesn't just grab her right away. He's kind of quietly following her we see here and even just the moment where he actually attacks her it's so well done like she is just halfway through walking out the door like it would have been a great moment for having her like walking kind of towards as I am right now to you know audience can't see at home but I'm kind of walking towards the camera it would have been a great moment to have him like attack her right there but it kind of cuts to her leaving the room and then we see here it's kind of like again it's adding to this claustrophobia like she's in this kind of cramped hallway space um it's kind of, it's really, it feels really uncomfy. It feels feels really uncomfortable. It's, it's awkward. And, you know, he grabs her, and he's choking her. You, you think like, oh my God, he's, this guy's a machine. He just can't stop. And he looks like he's finally going to kill Lori. But of course, Dr. Loomis was outside, right place, right time. He sees a kid screaming their asses off, running out of the house, like, help, help, the boogeyman. They're running away and Dr. Loomis is smart enough to be like, oh shit, like something's going on. And he goes upstairs, he has a gun on him, thank God. He goes upstairs, sees Michael choking Lori. He pulls out the gun, bam, shoots Michael. Michael's like, oh, like, like he's like a, you know, like again, like a Hoxian Western character. He just like flops over, he's like stumbling. And again, he's all, he is like a picture because he's just staring at Loomis. Like he's not even reacting after he's been shot. Like he falls, flops back, but he's just, he's just looking at him with the, you know, that blank mask visage. And then, well, actually, before that, he gets the mask taken off. So we do see his face. He almost looks like a, like a Bill Hader or something. He has like an interesting <laughs> face profile to him. I totally forgot that we see his actual face in this movie, but, uh, mm-hmm. You know, shoots him he's just sort of stumbling around uh, shoots him again and he flies out the window he falls backwards lands from the building they look over loomis looks over and michael's just laying on the ground he's been shot he's dead it's over and he kind of looks back and then looks back out the window and michael's gone the soundtrack cuts to the soundtrack and is just outside you know go have gone through this trauma her friends have been murdered her she herself was almost killed you know had to rescue and protect these kids and she's just sobbing and crying is totally emotionally broken and that's the end of the movie it's such a scary dark ending because it's like there's no real resolution and moreover i mean i've i, I gotta say something i've actually seen very few of the halloween sequels i've seen this one i've seen the third one i've seen mm. resurrection and i've yeah. seen a little watched, bit of i watched this se-
2: i was so excited for today you saw the I, second one. i watched yeah. the second one which we'll talk about too but i mean was, yeah i mean it was much better than i did i hated the rob zombie ones so i, yeah. I don't like any rob zombies movies but I mean, he's just, yeah. he's, such, he's such a, he's a great musician, but I think as a filmmaker, I, just, I hate his editing decisions. I hate the, the pacing. I just, well, I mean, maybe for another day, but <laughs> not a fan of Rob Zombie Say that movies. for the,
1: the <laughs> fuck Rob Zombie episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I don't want to spoil too far ahead because you're going to talk about Halloween too and kind of how that, you know, mm. it updates kind of the, yeah. the, the continuity of the series and all that. But, you know, not knowing Halloween too, this is just like a random event that happened. Ha- Michael happened to just drive into this town. He happened to see Lori and her friends. And he, that's the, and then it was just a random act of chance, much like I think with Psycho. It's like, oh, it was a crime of passion. There was no reason it had to happen. It could have It could have happened to anyone. Maybe there's other Norman Bates all across America. We don't know, probably. But this was just a little slice of life moment. You got to witness this brutality and horror. Same thing with this movie. It's like there, as, as that uh, caretaker kind of hinted, there's horrible acts of murders and violence all across America. There's Instances like this everywhere, you got to witness one of them. There's no reason why it happened. And even that, there's no real safe resolution. Michael is gone. He's he's everywhere though. We hear his breathing at the end of the movie over all of the locations. Is he a real human being? Is he a paranormal force of evil? Does he represent Halloween, the spirit of Halloween itself? I don't know, but he's 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 out there, he's still around, and there's no resolution for our characters, Dr. Loomis is still traumatized because Michael's gone. The man that you swore he would stop is gone. And Laurie's just totally broken. There's no resolution for her either. So very dark ending. Um, it's just, it just ends. And uh, yeah, that's Halloween. Man, what a great movie. We'll I'll talk about reactions in a second, but quick notes on release legacy. There's a lot to talk about. This is such a freaking influential movie. My God. Uh, it was came out on October 25th, 1978, just before Halloween. Could you imagine seeing this movie like at a drive-in Halloween 78? It would have been an awesome time watching this movie. Oh, cool. Uh, it grossed 70 million worldwide. This was incredibly commercial and critical success. Like this movie made a ton of money. I mean, it was filmed on a $300,000 78 budget and made like 70 million at its time. That's an incredible gross. Uh, The eighties TV rights. This movie would later be on TV in the eighties by NBC. Um, They actually filmed additional scenes and and moments to actually extend it to fill a two hour time window because that's how it was aired on TV. And um, so that's subsequent releases have kind of like an extended cut where they have additional materials uh, in 2006 fangoria actually discovered uh or in a in a fangoria magazine uh, publication synapses films the, pu- the publisher they discovered negatives of the film with additional footage stuff that was likely shot in the early 80s to be added uh to the tv release but they found additional content as well too uh, in terms of critical response for for con- contemporaneous reviews, um, a little some mixed reviews, but overall did very well. You know, famously Pauline Kael, she's like one of the, you know my favorite critics from the classic you know uh, film canon. She was not very positive on this movie. You know, she did note it was it was pretty well shot and scary, but it, it's kind of funny because reading her review, it's like she kind of looked at it the way people would just look at like teen slashers now. She's like, you know, you know, Gary not really gifted with his actors. He doesn't seem to have any feeling for motivation for plot logic. And she says like, Halloween's a pitiful amateur script, which is kind of wild to, you know, read that opinion now. But, you know, I, I think it does kind of add to kind of an ongoing criticism with some people about Carpenter where they feel like his his human characters don't feel real, like he doesn't have humanity to him. He just doesn't seem to give his characters a lot of, and you kind of see that with Halloween because his characters are very, you know, Laurie, I think has some heart to her, but, you know, she's kind of cold, like she's kind of just doing her own thing. And most of the characters are pretty snarky and sniping to each other. And it, it's, I think it's a fair criticism and I think she's a great critic, but, uh, Kind of an interesting, you know, famous piece of contemporaneous criticisms. However, m- most critics really loved the movie. They thought it was like a, a step above a lot of the, you know, could again, consider it's time. A lot of the exploitation, giallos and slash, a lot of them were pretty schlocky, B-level. People saw this as being kind of like a watershed moment of like, this is actually one of the good ones. Uh, Roger Ebert in 78 ranked it as his top 10 movie of that of that he's, year and he's so picky with horror movies too so if he likes it yeah, you know something stood out for him yeah <laughs> yeah, and he was really positive you know normally you know we kind of talked a little bit about kind of it's odd because you know he's his claim to fame was making a lot of these schlocky like roger corman like yeah he features. gets all and, snobby about these yeah, yeah, now movies. he's like <laughs> oh women in movies but like uh you know he was actually really positive the subject matter he thought this movie did a really great job kind of uh with laurie or his character character and kind of it's just he thought it was like a really well done true horror and contemporary reviews of course this movie is now widely beloved as like a classic slasher this is the slasher movie if if i guess if psycho was kind of the the granddaddy to like halloween halloween the coaching tree is endless you have of course friday the 13th would not exist without halloween it it of itself created spin-offs any sort of camp you know slasher movie a sleep away camp that that owes itself to halloween the nightmare series all of the 80s canon of, of slasher movies and onward even with scream and kind of the meta horrors to come in like the 90s and the 2000s all owes it's or and and in recent decades like the 2010s we have these you know intentionally biting you know carpenter soundtracks intentionally biting 70s giallo aesthetics or 70s slasher aesthetics uh, you know um there's um, so a house of the devil like in 2009 like that's a movie that mm. very much is influenced by these sort of 70s filmmaking styles was- and a lot of them all owe themselves to to halloween and so for such an established
2: feeling like i mean there's a lot of familiar tropes but they also do like they also kind of break from those tropes in a lot of interesting ways yeah. too just with the the plot and everything the narrative too and i think that's really well done and that's what kind of makes the movie special at least for me when i was watching it
1: yeah and, and you know i'm a slasher fan like I've, I love slashers and but that being said you know started the slasher subgenre a subgenre for you know for better for worse a, a genre that has a lot of you know criticisms over the way you know some of the really bad slashers honestly have handled characters you know with misogyny they, they promote sadism um, and even some people kind of view like kind of the the first person focused people kind of go back and forth like is this being critical or are you meant to kind of is this to critique like male violence or is this really to kind of be sort of like Sado puts you in the role of the killer, and you're supposed to kind of feel. Tittle. I don't know. There's there are certainly discussions to have on that, and we'll probably those kind of discussions will come up when we talk about other movies. Um, home video wise, it did very well. at 79. It was on VHS. I know you know Quinn, you're our resident VHS head. Um, it, the 789 original VHS copy is kind of considered a, a collector's item. It actually sold in 2013 for thirteen thousand two hundred dollars on eBay. An original 79 uh, wrapped up uh halloween tapes so that's kind of cool that uh you know uh, he's our resident i think he's probably going to be grabbing his halloween uh, tape uh, on hands uh it came out on dvd in 2000 in, sorry in 1999 and in 2003 there's the 25th anniversary edition with extended cuts on dvd ah there he is hey quinn's got he's got a stack of halloween tapes right now so i got our first I got, one up
0: i got the first one i got the second one nice. and then one of my favorites is number four
1: Oh, nice, nice. And we were yeah. talking, I think, offhand nice. ages ago. I, my parents had, I think, uh, we had the first two on tape. And we also had the third one on tape, which I, I grew up watching the third one. And you were like, the third one on tape is so hard to get it's now. Like, shot, I, so my, shot my, shot. my parents should have never gotten rid of our tapes. We should have kept, kept them because it's probably worth a bunch of money. But, you know, that's how all these things work. But uh, anyway, yeah. 2007, it got a 30th anniversary release uh, on Blu-ray. And then it was another transfer in the 35th anniversary release on on 2013. Uh, 2014, Scream Factory released a pretty popular series of Blu-ray box sets, which also included the Rob Zombie ones. And uh, recent years, in 2018, there was updated to Ultra HD 4K. And just now, I think they just announced it coming out this month, there's going to be a whole new from Scream Factory, a whole new 4K box set uh, from the first five movies all in 4K with a whole bunch of crazy special features. I was checking them out because I'm like, Maybe I'll get them, but a lot of these like Scream Factory collectible box sets are like fucking gotta spend an arm and a leg to get them. So I'm like, uh, maybe not. Maybe I'll just watch the the rip off of the internet or something. But uh, you know, it's now considered a classic horror movie. It's in the AFI top 100, which is pretty impressive for you know, a kind of a genre horror film. Um, the themes, of course, psychoanalytical elements. You know Michael and it's like a sexual Michael like killing his sister. You know her sister had just had sex. You know Michael Stor- stalking Laurie and her friends, killing off her her more uh, you know uh, sinning friends. You know they smoke, they have sex, they kill them off one by one. Murders usually again using hands and knives. Carver himself doesn't really see the movie as kind of playing into that. He doesn't see those tropes, but again, as Curtis you said, it's like you know Freudian. It's like who knows what's <laughs> going on in the subconscious oh, of the author yes, below the surface. <laughs> Yeah, it's the birth of the final girl trope. Laurie is sort of the first, the progenitor of what would become the final girl trope. and because yeah, alien, alien, alien the next year, I guess, too, right? Yeah, Alien's Alien comes out next yeah. year with, uh, you know, uh, with Sigourney Weaver as sort of like the final girl in that movie. Um, you know, not to like denigrate her character, because I think sometimes people see Final Girl, like, oh, Final Girl. But I think like it, it, there's a whole kind of spectrum of like Final Girl type characters and tropes. Uh, certainly in the Friday movies, they almost feed, always feature like a Final Girl. I have Alice, Alice. Um, uh, what's her face the second one I can't remember the redhead and then recently uh, I, I just saw the third third one recently uh, Chris and the third one of course nightmare we have Nancy we have uh, you know the dream master a lot of characters like there's like always like the final girl and yeah this is sort of the beginning of also the trope of the final girl because Lori, as we we're kind of saying like I didn't really find Lori to be that like oh I'm so I'm book smart I'm a nerd I'm so virginal I don't drink her have like she seems like pretty normal she's smoking a joint with the front of the car but later movies would really kind of comically distort this kind of trope to like having care some movies would have characters who are just like they don't even exist like don't even make sense in the universe of the film like why would they even be friends with all these degenerates of like pot smokers and like people who are just banging every moment they're just like sky stop having sex i have to finish my like homework for class tomorrow like i I it's like why would you be hanging out with them but it's like uh it is kind of funny how this sort of started that whole uh that whole trope again I, I see this personally as like a critique of like America's suburbia and also social mm-hmm. values you know it's coming out like right at the beginning of the reagan era and the name series really plays into that kind of exploring like the uh you know these are this is sort of the beginning of like the gen x as sort of the standard bearer in these horror movies like the gen x characters of the kids yeah. and the ones well, with, with uh and with the nightmare on M Street
2: too i mean we have johnny depp and we even have like kevin bacon in the first friday yeah yeah
1: too, you know? <laughs> and it's like <laughs> that's yeah. yeah yeah oh my yeah. god yeah. No, great ever. savini moments yeah and it's like it's sort of a, it's sort of like, like a way savini. to critique you know we talk about like the war of generations all the time kids today are like oh baby boomers we hate boomers but it's like you go back to these movies and it's like exploring like gen x nui and kind of you know not a lot of opportunities it's it's like it, history repeats itself the same cycles and it's like exploring kind of the trauma that their parents like the, the older baby boomers and kind of the younger silent generation parents you know they've gone through probably their own yeah, trauma coming the coming back from, coming back from vietnam or something or like, yeah yeah you know, or like world war ii and they're traumatized they're alcoholics they they're they're the, the parents, the dads have, like, these weird paternalistic and kind of patriarchal those, those, those we, Yeah, those weird, like, conservative to, parents, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, this movie is sort of into that, like, that moment where Laurie's like, help me, bang on the door, and, like, they just shut the lights off. It's like, how many neighborhoods in America would people do exactly that? It's Probably a, it's a, it's a, it's like that,
2: millions of them. It's like that grouchy, awful, ultra-conservative dad in that 70s show. <laughs> I think of
1: yeah, that. About. For him, yeah, red form. beats hates everything. Yeah. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> My foot in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and again, it's a little bit of nature versus nurture, too, with Loomis's character. He's on the side of, like, Michael as a sort of unrelenting evil force, yeah. someone who can't be. And that's that's weird, isn't it? Because, like, with.
2: you know, modern psychiatry, they'd be like, no, it's it's a product of nurture, probably, you know, this, it, this kind of, you know, killer personality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's very much, you know, he was born this way. He was always evil. He was always a bastard, you know? like.
1: Yeah, yeah um of course I, I kind of went over the influences and i'll just kind of cut things short so we can get to our rating so 83 there's a video game there's an Atari game of this there was also done, done sequels we're going to talk i know curtis you saw halloween too so we'll get into that i've actually again disclaimer i've surprisingly have barely i've seen all the fridays i've seen all the nightmares i've seen most of the chainsaw massacres i've seen very little halloween i've seen this one i have seen the third one because i watched it as a kid i saw uh a part of the fifth one i think on a treadmill I was at the gym it was on like subtitles so i saw mm. a bit of that one and i started it, it, watching the newest one and i just wasn't able you, did, to you didn't it, watch so. it
2: you didn't watch h2o i mean it's not a good movie but i mean i've uh no
1: i i, I know h2o because that was kind of the first one that came out when i was like old enough to kind of remember but i never saw that one i never saw h2o mm-hmm. either so i've seen very few of these but there's tons of sequels number two which was written by carpenter and hill although he didn't direct um and uh, there's Halloween 3, which we'll probably talk about in a future episode, kind of notable because, you know, that, that one doesn't feature Michael Myers, uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And then later there would be number four, five, four, five, and 6. The timeline, of course, is very screwy on these. Uh, we'll get into, of course, like I think H2O, which would come out is like a sequel to the second Halloween, but not mm-hmm. like the 4, 5, and 6, 3 kind of existence in own universe. Uh, the Rob Zombie movies in the 2000s, oh, sorry, Halloween H2O comes out in 98. It's a sequel to the the second movie. It's uh, with Janie Lee Curtis returns into that movie as well, too. There's Halloween Resurrection, a sequel to just H2O in 2002. I did see that one. That's one I also saw. And then there was, of course, Rob Zombie directed a remakes in 07 and 09. Halloween 1 and 2 of his movies exist in their own universe. And then just recently, 2018, we got, um, I think, uh, Danny McBride and his crew did uh, Halloween. Uh, oh, I love, and I now, love that of course, one, yeah. of oh, Halloween just,
2: Kills, <laughs>
1: Coming out in just a few weeks, we have Halloween Kills, and then in 2023, we will have Halloween Ends, so kind of doing- it's
2: interesting with this, too, because I heard the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, is going to be super gory, and if you look at all the Halloween movies, I mean, they haven't been that gory, you know, compared to other kind of slasher
0: franchises, so I'm interested to see where they kind of take it, like, how far they go. (laughs) Yeah, the 2018 one was was pretty pretty out there, though, Mm -hmm. like, some of the kills, like, they were-
1: yeah, I didn't. Pretty I didn't finish it yet, but like, I, as I mentioned, I think yeah, Curtis, Quinn, we we put it on to watch it, and it was like, this is a brutal movie. I'm like, maybe I'll watch yeah. this one by myself. I was like, pretty intense. <laughs> I was surprised how uh, brutal it is. I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to probably finish watching it very soon because I want to go see that uh, that newest one. Me too, um, yeah. It's kind of funny, though, because Halloween, like, you know, throughout the 80s, we would have a wave of like much more popular franchises, like Friday Nightmare and a lot of other kind of spin-off related horror movies that would come out kind of eclipsed Halloween. I mean, Halloween still had sequels coming out, but they kind of got progressively less diminishing returns. I think when Halloween six came out, it was a total bust. Of the box office it didn't do very well. And I guess nobody cared killed. anymore. <laughs> they killed the franchise. But, you know, it, it's it's still been on and on. at 20th anniversary, we had H2O. There was a lot of Halloween hype then. The Rob Zombie ones in the 2000s had some acclaim. And then now it's back in the force. It's kind of outlived all the other ones. Like, Nightmare is basically gone. I mean, and there's rumors that might come back, but there was a, a remake like a decade ago that's pretty much gone. Friday the 13th, very much in limbo. There was, of course, that big ongoing lawsuit between uh, the writer of the movie and Sean S. Cunningham, which I think was recently resolved where... Uh, The writer actually got full credit now and writes to the series, so it's his baby. So there's a chance we might get a Friday, the movie to come out now, but otherwise it's been a very long time since then. Halloween's still going strong. Halloween's going better than ever. the, The most recent one got incredibly good commercial. It did very well commercially, got tons of good critical reviews, People really liked it. As I said, I, I only started watching a bit of it and I was shocked at how intense it was uh, compared to even a lot of contemporary stuff coming out in like kind of the slasher. Very intense movie and very well done. So um, it's it still lives on. Halloween still has a legacy. It's still relevant literally weeks from now. By the time you hear this episode, even maybe uh, Halloween Kills is just about to come out that one's going to be pretty exciting and who knows there might even be more Halloweens to come. It's, it's sort of, it, despite being as old as it is and despite having some bumps in the road, it's still, it's outlived kind of all of its children. It's spawned. It's still ongoing. So it's pretty cool how it's still, um it's still going on to this day. Um, let's talk about just give our rating and our review and kind of our final comments. Uh, Quinn, I've been talking a lot, so I'll get you a chance to chat. I know you had to pop out for a bit. What, what are your thoughts? What, what did you give this movie and what did you think about Halloween?
0: Oh man yeah halloween's a special one for me um i like the whole series i've seen every single one of them multiple multiple times i always look forward to um if you guys have cable if not you can actually stream it online but the station amc has this thing every october um called fear fest and they all they play like i swear to god it's like all they have they'll play like poltergeist one day and then like the rest of the month is just like oh halloween four is on and then halloween five and then halloween one and then two and then one is plays again like it's just nonstop. so like this time of year the start of october it always brings back memories of me watching halloween and it's definitely one of my favorite series um yeah in horror history it's amazing uh obviously being such a john carpenter fan as well that also boost it up. I love um I love like him just Michael Myers just like standing you know behind these like hedges and like stalking her and obviously the synth like synth soundtrack is wicked there's great car scenes and my favorite part is the closet part and I think that his use of um all those empty hangers just kind of stay like there's they're sitting there and like as he puts his arm in like you just see the hangers kind of going crazy and twisting yeah. around. And I didn't I think of. that. That's was, really,
1: yeah, that's smart. Yeah, yeah th-
0: that's definitely like one of my favorite parts in history. And like, if like there had been clothes there, it wouldn't have been like as revealing as a shot. So like, I, I always stuck to my mind. Like, I love that there's just empty hangers in that closet, closet. But uh, definitely looking forward to the new one coming out in a few weeks. Me too. Yeah, um, It's going to be awesome. Like, and even like the shitty ones, like I even like H2O, like I, I have a soft spot for LL Cool J, you know, like <laughs> deep, deep Blue Sea and like, I don't know, man, it, it's like, it's super cheesy. He, make, but he makes also,
2: everything better, doesn't he? <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think is, uh, what's her name's in it too. She's from, uh, Josh Doc Hartnett's in it too, isn't he? Or is, I'm the Josh different. Hartnett is not in, in yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, also, um, what's it called? What's her name? Michelle Williams is in it too. Young Michelle Williams Hmm. around the time, uh, around the time she was doing like Dawson's Creek and stuff like that. So um, yeah, even H2O it's, it's fun. They're super fun, but overall Halloween one classic top 10 horror movies ever. Uh, I gave it a 4.5, but I must've been in an off mood. It's it's a five-star movie. (laughs) It's it's awesome. Like it's, it's a five-star movie flat out um but on the notes I do have a 4.5 for uh for argument's sake but yeah man (laughs) what what can you say Michael Myers is awesome um yeah I love that film
1: cool how about yourself Curtis Uh, I really liked it too so I was a little bit
2: stricter I gave it four out of five uh but I, I do love everything about it too I mean it's it's such a it's such a fun horror movie to watch as I said too just the build up and kind of yeah those colors kind of iconic scenes with Michael Myers too and I'm a big horror buff obviously so um it's one of my favorite uh, John Carpenter films I would say um I I, I didn't like the <laughs> I really didn't like some of the um uh, uh, Laurie's friends <laughs> and that really bought, they, they they really annoyed me and I I <laughs> I know it's kind of like mean girls a little bit but I just I just, that Annie especially pissed me off. So I think watching it again. Um, but yeah, I think overall too. Uh I mean, I was maybe on un, perhaps unfairly comparing to La Giallos too. So I think that's why I gave him a slightly lower score. But I mean, four out of five is still is still really good uh as well, too. And I mean it, there's so much that it done does right too, you know, those opening scenes where you see it from his point of view too. And uh, I watched uh, I watched it with the second one, which I'll talk about after, as I guess sort of double bill. So I just like thinking about it again too. I've cut my because the second film continues right off where the first one ends. It, I kind of keep mixing up scenes from both movies and forgetting where, where one begins and where the other one ends. But uh, yeah, I like the first one obviously quite a bit. And I did like, uh, I hated the Rob Zombie movies, uh, but I did like the, uh, the I guess you call it reboot, I guess that came out uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. So new, yeah, I guess the new reboot, the new trilogy, I guess. I guess yeah. Whatever new, it uh, is. Trilogy. Or the, the Danny McBride trilogy. Whatever it becomes, yeah. you know. It's always funny with these horror movies, too, how they say they're going to end it, like, you know, like with Jason, too. Yeah, Friday, the final
1: Friday or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, he gets, like,
2: like disintegrated. I'm like, well, how the fuck are you going to bring him back now? I'm like, there's nothing left, too. It's a weird voodoo (laughs) ritual
1: or something. Yeah, Halloween marks the beginning of, like, horror franchises just playing fast and loose with canon i saw you said it posted a thing on facebook about texas chainsaw where it's like the first one yeah. the second one which is like a total parody <laughs> yeah. the third one which is a sequel the first one the fourth one which is like a remake the first one was like a sequel the remake it's just like all over the place
2: well, i don't know if you guys yeah. have watched this they have this like uh uh well i mean the third texas chain the the, the sequels for texas chainsaw massacre terrible but the third one they have like this really cool trailer and the movie sucks but like the trailer is amazing because they have this like king arthur sequence where you have like this weird like grimy hand coming out of the the, the lake and it like throws
0: this glistening chainsaw and
2: then Leatherface catches
0: yeah. it and I'm like this is better than the whole movie <laughs> yeah. but if, oh. I also uh, sorry I, I also wanted to mention one more thing too I, I read this a while ago but I know that they shot it in California in May right mm-hmm. but they also uh, they also had to get leaves to make it seem like fall like October. that's right yeah and yeah. so they would have these like bags of leaves and then like every scene, like scene at the school or like scene where Lori's walking home or whatever, they would have to like, tr- like fill the streets up with all these leaves and then be like, all right, Rank guys, we up. need to pick up all the leaves for the next <laughs> scene. They would just like leaves, it. But like, it, it really captures like October. Like it Yeah. It gives me that sort of like, you can I always you can almost smell it. it. It's, it's cozy, <laughs>
1: even though it's a horrifying movie. It's, it's kind of cozy. Like I love the fall uh I'm, yeah. i mean look at my fucking wall behind me it's all orange like we love we love autumn in this house and uh we're already yeah, ready it's... for
0: halloween early in september yeah, they do we're a really ready great
1: ready job to... with the, the mood of it
0: yeah definitely
2: i uh yeah i i i I, I hate the Rob Zombie movies. I like the new uh, remake. <laughs> it's I like the
1: eighth time you said that. Like they yeah. were, I fucking hate those movies. Just, by the <laughs> way, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: And,
2: uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like too many of the the Halloween sequels to be honest, but I did like the reboot.
1: So I'm excited to see the new one too. Uh, so I guess we'll see what how that turns out. What do you think, John? Uh, from the Hop. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broker all the time. I think this is the third in the row that I've given a five out of five. I gave <laughs> Salt five out of five. I gave Psycho five out of five, and I'm giving this one a five out of five. I I love Halloween. I think it's one Patrick. of the best horror movies. When it comes to slashers, I'm a huge slasher junkie, and this this has a claim to be like the best slasher movie in my opinion, or up there with like Suspiria and a lot of other elite great slashers in the various subgenres and the sub subgenres. Um, incredible score. It's got probably the best iconic score in horror history. Um, not just the main. Title sequence, but the but all the other medleys to follow the Lori's theme, uh, Michael's theme, a lot of the little transition sounds. The overall sound Foley work on oh, this is amazing. The screams are uh, the screams are scarier than I think honestly most of the scenes of this movie. Like just this, the kids' screams are terrifying. Uh, Laurie's impressive, like all the sound work and, and when he's killing the people, it's so it's so well done. Uh, the restraint is so good. Like John Carpenter really flexes his muscles here with his shots. We get the long steady cam shots. The sequence that the kids playground is so good. Like I was reading comments on ETF. if someone's like this should be studied in film theory because it's just the way it's laid out we get the characters coming across kind of horizontally from far away Coming in close, and then we get the kid running it, running right into Michael. We see him from behind. It's like Michael Myers spends most of the movie in, in daylight, just walking around or driving around. It. I forgot how much this movie is actually just him, in his, just following characters around. And there's so much happening in the in backgrounds and where we see Michael approaching from afar or walking towards. And it's it's so scary, even though a lot, not a lot is happening. Again, less is more. There's only about seven or eight characters in this movie. There's not that many characters. I think you can count it: Lori, her two friends, uh, the sheriff. Michael Myers himself, Loomis, uh, and then there's like a couple of supporting. That's pretty much it. It's very, it's a, oh, and and uh, mm-hmm. Lindsay's boyfriend and the, t- and the two kids. But otherwise, it's very, it's very restrained. And um, I think like the settings, like there's so many scenes where we get a really good sense of geography here. You could pretty much map much like Psycho. You could pretty much, I could kind of have a piece of paper and almost map out the entire geography of the movie, like where characters are going, where they're coming from. I love that. Again, I say that all the time, every review I like when I know what, what's happening in the scene. I can follow things that matters a lot to me. Maybe it's just my brain the way it works. But <laughs> yeah, just really restrained in a lot of the way it's shot and filmed. Um, great atmosphere. Again, Curtis, you, you said it well. Sorry, Quinn, you said it well with talking about kind of, you know, they had to actually supply leaves and stuff and to make it feel like fall. And it really does capture that atmosphere. Um, again, killer soundtrack. I, I just think it's, it's it's incredibly well done movie. It still holds up very well. Um, when you know what to expect, it's not as scary, but I still find it very terrifying. Like I still, when I watch it, I still get the shivers when up, I watch yeah. It. yeah, even like the kills and stuff, like it's still just shot very relentlessly tear, relentlessly well done and and i love it even though i've barely seen much of the series so i'm excited because i might have to maybe before the new one comes out check out all the the sequels again i have seen the third one i as a kid i loved the third one even though that movie at the time i remember people fucking hated that movie now everyone loves it everyone's like oh halloween 3 is the best one like you know everyone's hopping on the bandwagon now but i was on there (laughs) when i was like eight years old so um yeah great movie five out of five for me i love it um we oh, gotta talk about what we watched. I just head, right? had, I just had a quick uh, question for Quinn oh, actually, sure, because sure.
2: I I love Quinn's VH, Quinn has an epic VHS collection. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> if you you have uh, Suspiria on VHS. I was I'm not sure if you're a Suspiria fan, but I don't know uh, the to come by.
0: I actually am afraid to say I have not seen Suspiria. Oh, it's, it's so good. Watch
2: the remake too. It's so good. But if you can find it on yeah. VHS, let me know because I I think it's kind of rare. But I yeah I, I, I haven't.
0: I haven't seen it on my Facebook group. I've seen like, oh my God, some crazy ones. I know I'm trying to get a, I, I'm trying to get my hands on a copy. I still need to see Videodrome.
2: Mm, let's get one too.
0: And uh, I see copies of that and that can range from like 10 to 20 bucks for that tape. That's well, worth it. Um, <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. so I got to I got to pick that one up. But like I recently, I uh, recently got the birds I got Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Um, nice. I, Uh, I got fright night too. Um, yeah, I got, I got a few, few cool ones, um, added to my list of horror, but, uh, yeah, man, it's still growing. It's just, it's, it's a lot of time, but the good thing is, is like, if you're, if you want to start a VHS collection, like it's cheap, man. Like a lot of these tapes I'm getting for like 50 cents. Mm -hmm. And if you get, if you get someone with a Canada post, uh, account, like even like I, I ordered, uh, I got like eight tapes from this guy in Nova Scotia and like it was like under 20 bucks to ship it it was like super easy so it's it's good it's it's a fun thing to do and obviously I I watch more movies too so
1: yeah that's fun and you probably get a lot of lots with like I don't really know what's here but just just random stuff and you might have been stuff that you've never seen before and it's like some of these tapes like some of them like you know we have boutique outlets like vinegar syndrome and shit that like republish a lot of these kind of like b-level stuff but a lot of them still haven't been published so you might be finding stuff that doesn't really exist out there in the internet which is which is pretty cool yeah i know my dad um, yeah
0: my dad has a uh he has a laurel and hardy tape collection like all vhs's for some of that stuff you you can't you can't get it anywhere so like it's like you know these distributors they lose the rights and whatever but like i also went to a um sorry one Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I went to uh, a thrift store, a local thrift store, the other day, and like I walked in and I was like, oh, I'll just see what they have for tapes." And like, I was able to find Grease, nice. Ferris, Ferris Bueller's uh. Day Off, like, sealed copy of Pretty Woman, oh, wow. and I got Turner and Hooch, and all <laughs> nice. all four were all four were two dollars and fifty cents. Like nice. I paid, with, I paid with like coffee change and like i left and i was
1: like i, I love seeing yeah. those tapes too because i have such a nostalgia for them because like my parents like i yeah. said but we had like we had a chest of probably close to over easily over like 200 tapes like we had hundreds and hundreds yep. of tapes and over the years my parents once we got my parents were like an early adopter to dvd they actually won like a i think they won a dvd player at some contest in the 90s that was worth like fucking like $500 but back then there was like no DVD so we just had it in storage we're like we can't use this thing but then like 99 2000 and they started replacing all this stuff and getting rid of it but when I see those tapes I'm like those are the tapes I remember like watching with my parents yeah so seeing those adds a lot of uh nostalgic value
0: oh, oh yeah man I have like I have some ones like I even have like some rare like Sesame Street tapes like that were mine as a kid and like I still have those and I was able to get Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same on oh, nice. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, uh, concert I, tapes are really impressive to collect. Tapes. Yeah, Those concert
0: tapes. Horrifying. I got um I got Pink Floyd the Wall on tape too. So like I have I have a lot of ones, but like I even went on Facebook Marketplace and this like woman um in Canada, which is like 20 minutes from my house. Like she she's like, Oh, I have like an assortment of tapes, and it was like probably like 60, 70 tapes. And she's like, Oh, it's free. And I was like, yeah, Oh, okay. And I was like, uh, can I come by and pick them up? She's like, Yeah, I'll just say them on my front step because it was like during COVID. And, like, I show up and there's, like, this, like, Huggies diaper box. And, like, I open it up and it's, like, like, uh, John claude Van Damme movies. I got Chan films. I got, like, um, a couple of, like, Coen Brothers films. Like, Dennis the Menace with Christopher Lloyd and Walter Matthau. And, like,
1: just a bunch. And I'm, like, going through them. Like, these are all free. Like,
0: I'll give (laughs) these a good
1: home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's nice to go to, like, a good place. Like, someone who's actually going to collect and take care of them. Um, yeah so on that note uh, quinn like let's just get into what we watched this week i know i don't know how we are for time i think i don't yeah, know we're we're great. it's been about an
2: hour 15 minutes so far yeah because so.
1: i know i know i know quinn you might have to leave early or, or you might be tight for time so why don't yeah. you start off first what did yeah. you what did you watch this week
0: yeah i'll be pretty quick um so the first movie i, I didn't i haven't watched as much in the past couple of weeks as i wanted to just because i've been so crazy with the wedding and all this stuff but um i i actually managed to get a copy vhs copy of uh Actually, come to think of it, all of these movies I watched on VHS. Hey, Um, nice. (laughs) Yeah, so I managed to get a copy of Problem Child with um, the great uh, John Ritter, right?
1: I think so, yeah. John uh, Ritter
0: uh, plays the dad. And uh, anyways, Problem Child, if you haven't seen it, it's like this little boy, Michael Oliver. um, Gilbert Godfrey's in it as well. Kramer's in it too, aka yeah. Michael Ritter. And basically, yeah, it's just like a young boy and he's an orphan and he's like an absolute menace. And uh, John Ritter and his wife decide to like adopt him and give him a chance. And like, he's a menace. Like things are going wrong. He's like taking over bulldozers and bulldozing like these like nuns houses. And it's like, it's oh, just wow. crazy. Like, send him back. Yeah send him back so like but he also has a soft side to him it's like a super punchy quick movie it's like an hour and 20 minutes but like uh, Michael Richards also plays this like infamous sort of criminal and he's like in the news so Junior the boy he's like he's like watching him and he like wants to be like him so he's like dressing like him and stuff but overall problem Child. There, it's like a, it's a pretty bad movie, man. But it, overall, it's like, it's fun. And I actually preferred the second one, uh, Problem Child 2, which came out a couple of years after. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a fun movie. I, it, there is some hilarious parts in it, too, that I forgot about. Um, I remember watching it on like, the TBS Superstation, like a long time ago. And I was like, ah, I found it for like a buck on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I'll just pick this up. But like, it, It still holds up for like a pretty crappy comedy, family fun (laughs) flick. Um, The next movie I watched uh, is Happy Gilmore. I know, I think we've touched on this one before on the podcast, but uh, classic Adam Sandler. Again, super quick movie, goes in, ends quick. Adam Sandler's like one of my favorite Sandler films ever. It's Mm -hmm. so funny. It still holds up. The golf aspect of it is like outrageous it's just like so ridiculous but very like,
1: quotable just put in the hole just tap yeah tap, a room.
0: tap it in chubs. yeah <laughs> no, yeah it's just such a classic film and it's like it has like i think it's like perfectly paced and like the soundtrack's wicked like you got a little skinnered in there uh with like two tuesdays gone and yeah man oh, yes. you got, you got shooter, shooter mcgavin you know um Yeah. Happy Gilmore's wicked. Uh, a must see for any comedy fan. Um, next movie I watched was field of dreams with Kevin Costner. I'm a huge baseball fan and it like, Oh, it gives me like, I get choked up every time I see this film. It's just so beautifully done. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, honestly, I won't get into too many details, but field of dreams, check it out. If you haven't, it's a tearjerker, but it's a feel good movie. And, uh, Fun
2: fun fact. So the, the press I used to work for in Ottawa, the Oberon Press, uh, they published a book by WP Kinsella. And it was he's the author, you know, who actually did the uh, shulish Jackson goes to Iowa or whatever it was that yeah. inspired that film. But before he did that, he did another book with this press, which is kind of cool. So it's kind that's of a cool, cool connection.
1: Yeah. Definitely definitely a Absolutely. Hall of Fame dad movie, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, definitely like a yeah, father-son flick. Field of dreams is awesome. Um the next one I watched. I started to get kind of in that like spooky mood after seeing Halloween and stuff like that. So I put on Freddie versus Jason. Oh, I love that um, movie.
2: I love it. <laughs> yeah. Freddy versus- it's it's like, wow.
0: It's so outrageous. It's so fun. I remember, I remember watching it like when it came out and, uh, like my friend had it on VHS and like we watched it. So I was able to get a copy of that on tape and, um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm just like, I love Freddie and Freddie Krueger, Jason. I just love how, you know they got uh kelly roland from yeah. uh destiny's child and like just threw it in there it's like okay cool kelly roland's in this but like um yeah just wicked some really cool scenes um and it's just such a cool rivalry and like why not like horror doesn't have any boundaries so like i don't know who thought of this idea but like i think it's an awesome idea i wish they would actually like come back and maybe do like a like a freddie versus michael myers or something you know yeah, like,
1: or the freddie versus jason versus ash which a lot of fans wanted for like decades or whatever something yeah like that
0: yeah get some bruce campbell action yeah absolutely it'd be awesome if they did something like that but yeah freddie versus jason um again super quick fast paced you get like it's just a horror fans dream it's like it didn't do well like critically but it it doesn't need to be. It's it's it has no boundaries. It's a really cool movie and a cool ending and sort of a twist too with it. Um, so check that out if you're a fan of um, the Friday and the Nightmare movies. And the last one movie, the last movie I watched, um, is it's actually one of my favorite movies ever made. It's uh, ba- the uh, Tim Burton's Batman with Jack Nicholson and nice. Michael
1: Keaton. And you watched it on tape, right? So you had like the big Batman box, the black,
0: mm. the logo, classic. Yeah. Actually, classic I'll grab. it.
1: Yeah, yeah that's like one of the one of the great tapes like it just it stands out so well on any shelf with the big batman logo on yeah i remember it seeing something. a blockbuster video and you'd always see the batman
2: ones i'm like oh i want to watch that one you know yeah <laughs> it
1: was so much yeah, fun to
2: see yeah i, I have out right now i
0: have um yeah oh have-
2: nice oh man that's awesome and then i oh, got Returns, batman, batman and oh and oh yeah that that's so much but it's kind of cool <laughs> oh no, i like that one i like that forever that's my favorite yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's fun i like jim carrey in it and uh tommy lee jones is pretty cool as two face too but um yeah i don't know i i watched this movie probably like three times a year like i just love it i there's something about it the uh the gotham city sets that they had it was just really cool and like jack nicholson is like it, it's sort of like like as as jack napier like before he becomes a Joker like. He sort of plays, like, this badass version, twisted version of, like, his Chinatown character. Like, he's got these, like, long, Mm -hmm. long jackets with, like, fedoras on and stuff. And, like, his henchmen are, like, pretty, like, they're pretty hard, like, hard people. And I don't know, man, it's really cool. They got a cool um, soundtrack, too. Like, Prince did the soundtrack. And, like, I'm a huge Prince fan and uh, uh, amazing. Um, Super cool, super dark. And, like, Michael Keaton is my personal... My favorite Batman ever, um, big big Michael Keaton fan. Pretty much everything he's ever done, I like it. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, that was the last movie I watched, but like that, one of my favorite films ever made, no doubt. Nice. What, uh, what about all those you- on
1: tape? Wow. Yeah, man, I
0: have. I now have every um, like Batman film on tape. I don't have any cool. of the animated stuff, but like, I would like to get my hands on it. But definitely the absolute like must have is I- this one. No, i wonder if you get cool. batman
1: begins on tape because that came out 2005 i know like 2007 or 6 was when they kind of started to the last time to come out
0: I, I think you're right actually i think i think you can get it i think i've seen it before too and it's like i think it's pretty pricey like i think yeah, it's yeah. like a 20 dollar tape but i if i see it i will definitely pick it up just uh go with the uh, the series of <laughs> cool. uh tapes but yeah like what about what about you john would you watch
1: uh it's been two weeks since we've talked so i've actually watched quite a bit of stuff uh the first one we saw we actually watched this I think the day before we last recorded, but I just didn't have time to really take notes. It was like late at night, so I was like, whatever. But uh, we started watching the uh, the 1990 made-for-TV movie, It, Stephen King's It. Uh, it's interesting because because watching it on, uh, I watched, a, a re- I think it was on Amazon Video. We watched one of the, the streamed videos on there. The um, Their version is sort of, famously, of course, It was filmed in two episodes, so it was made-for-TV. And you're holding up the uh, the tape. Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, nice. it's, it's the same. I believe it's the same rip as I the so it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's both episodes kind of combined together. It's like three and a half yep. hours, quite long. So me and Matt me were watching it, and I think we we had been watching it for hours and hours of like it was like 2 30 or 3 a.m we're like what t- when is this movie done it's like an hour and 20 left We're like okay so we actually didn't finish it yet but we watched all of the first part and i think half of the it's second huge though so, isn't it because it's
2: like the series, so it's like four hours or something isn't it yeah it's it's, a it's two like
1: movie. two hour episodes something like that yeah it's very it's quite long and uh I, I gotta say like it it's it's fun to watch it's got all this nostalgia i don't know if i mentioned it but uh, i have a, a really kind of fun personal story with this movie where when i was a kid i think i would have been wouldn't have been much older than seven I might have been six or seven much like Georgie's age I was that I was in my bed back at our parents my parents old house and I couldn't sleep very well I was just having trouble sleeping so I went downstairs normally I would just stay in my bed and just hang out but I was like I'm bored and I thought everyone was kind of just asleep. So I, I crept out of my room went downstairs to the base and my dad was just sitting there watching it and I'm like hey dad and he's like oh you, you're up I'm like yeah I just couldn't sleep he's like I'm like what are you watching he's like oh I'm watching a movie Like, want to watch along I'm like sure and it was at the scene just before where he's like talking to Georgie. He's like, Here, I, here's the sailboat. I've glued it. I put the wax on it or whatever, the paraffin wax. <laughs> and I sat there with my dad watching the whole sequence from that point to like, Hiya, Georgie. They all float down here. And then like the scene right after <laughs> was talking, the, the blood, the blood, inc- the blood coming out of the picture. And I remember I was so like traumatized. My dad was like, uh, uh, go back to your room, go to bed. I don't think you're supposed to be down here. I'm like, Okay. So that, that was kind of a fun moment I had with that movie. But, uh, yeah,
0: because
2: years some of it-
1: later, I- yeah. So it's
2: a bit dated, isn't it? But like this, this, this Tim Curry's performance is great in that too. And there's like those scenes, you know, with the 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 balloons exploding in this blood. Or like, oh, yeah. uh, I, I like the scene that scared the shit out of me was like when that when it, when it's a weird gym teacher who's like, oh, you have to have a shower, like why? Who cares? You know? Yeah, and it's he goes, very uh very odd, yeah. Yeah, and there's this, and he's in the shower, and then you have uh, Pennywise coming out of the shower and like ah, and you have his like sharp teeth, and that just I, I fucking unsettled me. And I don't I don't usually. Have a fear of clowns, but like, oh, man, that scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have watched it in the few years since, but this time around watching it, I hadn't watched it in a while. um It is honestly, like, it's not my favorite. I think like, to its mm. to its detriment, it's filmed. It's like it's got kind of a very yeah. made for TV aesthetic. So yeah. it's the entire movie is almost constant flashbacks. It's just yeah. like very distracting. It's like I think the the most recent ones did it better by just playing it straight out. Like let's just mm. kind of do it chronologically. It, it kind of it feels a little hokey, but I mean, it's funny rewatching it now because I'm like I remember watching as a kid and like the 90s scenes felt normal, but like rewatching yeah. it now, I, the the scenes within the future it feels so 90s like it's so over the top mm. and I, it made it really fun to watch. I, I found like the kids are are really great in this. it's got a lot of fun moments, like the horror, it's, it is kind of hokey times, but there's still moments that are pretty scary. The scene when they're kind of looking at the picture and you see Pennywise dancing around, he stops and he's just like, like runs up. That scared the show to me when I saw that as a kid and it's, it's still pretty creepy. I love the scene. I didn't, we didn't finish it yet, but we just got through the kind of, the halfway through the second part where you get the adult Richie where he's like he's in the library and <laughs> was dying because Pennywise he's just like uh-huh, noise. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah he's just like oh, you, oh, you, do it. Yeah, it tells his like and Richie's there. just like I'm looking for Alan, he's like yelling to the librarian, she's just kind of like blank face. I, I was cracking up, that was pretty funny. So he's got, pretty like, handy,
0: noisemaker, too. And he's like just cracking jokes like, Is your refrigerator running? Yeah, that's yeah. it. before <laughs> it runs away. Ah, yeah, Curry ah,
1: ah, Curry's ah. great. I mean, he's he's like he's pretty much influenced the entire scary clown trope. Yeah. Even I think when uh Bill Skarsgard he did the newest Pennywise, he very much was influenced by like Tim Curry's Pennywise, like pretty much bang oh, on. Like Tim Curry's yeah. an
2: incredible actor. Yeah, have yeah, you? Uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited for you to read the book too. I'm keen to hear what you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah,
1: I've been meaning to read the book. I know it's it's quite detailed and it gets it's more it's, more it's, it's,
2: it's more it's more graphic too. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. great. My favorite king.
1: Uh, other stuff. We uh, wrapped up. We watched the last entry in the the Fear Street series on Netflix. Um, we watched Fear Street 1666. I, I wasn't as high on this as I was the last mm. two. I was um, on to I did. Too. I did like the, yeah, the first half of it. I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but if you're watching the 1666, I guess a little bit of a spoiler, not really, but yeah, the 1666 part's only like about half of it. The, the second half is sort of like the part two of the present day. Components so it kind of jumps back into the present. Um, I I really enjoyed like the six park. It was it was very hokey. I like how they kind of had the entire ensemble cast from the last two movies all playing different characters. It felt very much like a stage play. It was really fun, and uh, I thought overall the story was pretty cool. It had a lot of kind of like. It was like, it was like, let's just actually tell you the real story of what's going on. And it kind of took it from this kind of witch's traditional paranormal to like this sort of this patriarchal horror terror of this kind of, that would kind of spawn on these two different city halves. One is like the upper crust class of these elite. And the second half is like the, uh, you know, the lower class, very like, you know, they're much more ethnic and like very, very, it was, I thought that was kind of cool. And it was, it was kind of cool how it, how it did that. Although, you know, one of my criticisms was like, I was like, I really liked how, you know, the Fierce Street, the first one. I liked how it wasn't totally just Stranger Things. I liked how it was like kind of a little bit more brutal. 1666, uh, it's pretty much just Stranger Things, like the ending. It was like it was just like redoing Stranger Things. I did like it a lot. It was fun. And I had a lot of fun watching it. And it was just very well shot. And uh, the ending was quite satisfying, but it, it it did, it was very much like this is Stranger Things. I was like, okay, but I I did enjoy it. And it kind of ended on a little bit, a bit of like an ambiguous note. I know there's been some rumors they might do like a another series or, or something so it would be cool because I think they kind of did a pretty fun universe and uh, I don't really know how they would continue it but uh, I thought it was pretty fun um, went to the Mayfair last week also and saw the classic uh, 1982 George Romero creep show the horror anthology oh, that's an awesome one, yeah. written by Stephen King um, it's consists of course of a bunch of different short kind of vignettes and films It's kind of like a, a, a prelude and a and an epilogue it's like this kid actually the kid is played by Joe Hill his son And his kid is like this comic book creep show. And the dad, he's this abusive dad. He like hits his kid. He's like, get this comic out of here. And he's like, the kid has to throw the comic. And (laughs) the epilogue is like at the end after the results of that. But we have a series of short films. I think two of them were- we're based Steve in stories Stephen King's in the one too, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the ones he did a short story. And there's two, I think that one and another one that are that are King short stories, but the rest are all original ones written by King. We have Father's Day about kind of this uh, spirit coming back, this patriarchal character coming back from the dead. There's a yeah, the lonesome death of a uh, uh, what's his name, Jordy something. That's the one Stephen King replaced with the bumpkin farmer with the the plants. Uh, something to tie you over i love that's probably my favorite one with uh leslie uh, leslie nielsen in a really dark role and we also got great uh great cast we got like ted danson and then uh, galen ross who was like fly girl and dawn of the dead so she's great in that another romero a classic and uh the crate which to me was the scariest one as a kid with like the mm. killer monkey creature i forgot how like darkly funny it is with like the guy that is like his like emotionally abusive, nagging wife. Like it's pretty dark and and disturbing, but it was pretty fun. And uh, the last one, they're creeping up on you with the cockroaches. They're all so colorful and fun And the movie. I've heard people describe Creepshow as actually the best comic book movie. Like, to the medium itself, because it is filmed just like a comic book. We get all these moments where there's freeze frames with like transitions. If you've ever played like yeah, a Sega it's, Genesis. It's very Tales from the Crypt, isn't it? You know, yeah, it reminded me, there's like a, a Sega Genesis game from the 90s called Comic Zone, which is almost the game is done like you're going through comic panels. And it's it, the movie itself, it's true to the tropes of kind of those 50s EG, like horror, classic 50s comic horrors. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun watching at the theater. It, it's pretty hammy. It's a great great ensemble cast with all the different people. Um, it's not overtly terrifying and scary. I mean, I watched the crate when I was younger and it scared the shit out of me, but otherwise I didn't find it too terrifying. There's was a couple of scary moments. Some of the shorter ones, like, uh, the sun that tied you over one, I, I wasn't too terrifying to me, but, uh, it was a lot of fun, very creative, very, uh, some great work. Tom Savini did all the, uh, it's like kind of a who's who's of great, of great crew. We got like, you know, written by Stephen King, who stars in it as well. We have, you know, directed by the great George Romero, one of the greats, um, art, uh, special effects and. And uh, design and all that done by Tom Savini. He's in his element here. Incredible prop work. Incredible like work with uh, you know special effects and, and that sort of thing. So it's really it was really fun to watch. Uh, had a great time. Uh, TV corner. We, we I think we're just about to finish it, but we're wrapping up season two of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I don't really know how much it ties into the book itself, but I, I to me the second season so far has been kind of more of like a it's been for, focusing more on like the intra intra family dynamic between kind of the Waterfords and June herself because you know the first one kind of really painted the whole universe and it's really about like June and her attempts to try to mobilize to try to get out and the second one is now I guess a bit of a spoiler but the second second season she's pregnant um with uh, uh, Nick the other guy's child and it's sort of her trying to survive uh in this new dynamic with the family and it, it, I really enjoyed it so far In that it kind of, some of the, some of the episodes have really explored. It, it's also added a little bit more to do and sympathy to Serena's character. Cause I think, you know, she's still very much like a, a total, I saw a comment online that was like comparing all the like lady Macbeth, you know, insp- inspirations, like her Cersei, uh, you know, like a lot of like patriarchal mat- matriarchal figures that are also kind of monstrous. It's kind of going back to the trope of like lady Macbeth and uh In Shakespeare's play but uh, you know even though she's kind of this monstrous character she's sort of the progenitor probably more even than her kind of husband because in the beginning of the first season we're kind of like oh this guy he seems like really monstrous and he is but uh, you know watching the second season you're like oh he's kind of adult he's kind of a big dummy he's kind of an idiot and Sarita is kind of the real player behind the scenes but you know we really kind of explore more of her character and kind of what she's going through uh, with this pregnancy but also like her kind of relationship falling apart with the commander Waterford. it's it's really good i I mean you know elizabeth moss is amazing i've been reading a lot of the jokes online people are just like oh every scene is just her doing like the same face i mean she's she's really expressive and i think that she does a good job because she's playing a character going through so much trauma and and yet you know can't really show her her true feelings and her true emotions as well you have to keep a lot of it under the under the wraps of the society and there's a a really great episode that explored a, a character that was added to the house that um, was uh, executed and it was really disturbing and it, it was just very, uh, very terrifying. So I think I'm just on the last episode. Uh, just uh, Bradley Whitford just casted as like a guest on it. So I, I was like, hey, it's that guy, Bradley Whitford. Cool. But I think it's going to be in the third season, but I'm really excited to wrap it up and, and get into the next season. Um, I'll go quick because uh, I got others. I know we have to f- wrap up with Curtis. Uh, went back to the Mayfair, saw the classic. I'd never seen it before. I saw Raging Bull. Um, right. man, I could have a, been a contender. i a big <laughs> As I mentioned, like, I've, I've got a lot of gaps. I haven't watched a lot of Scorsese. I watched Taxi Driver uh, at last year. It, I watched it kind of a really weird moment in my life because I had just been laid off, so I was unemployed. And I was like, I was went to the theater by myself. I think I got a little stones. I was just kind of like doing city walk in the afternoon. I was baked. I'm like, I'm gonna go to the theater, and watch Taxi Driver. It's about this like lonely man, isolated. It's like, I was like, I, I mean, I don't really see myself as Travis Bickle, I don't want to say that out loud, <laughs> like, putting me on a list, but I could kind of like it emotionally connected with me in a way that I kind of understood in that moment. And it was like, I think like literally like two weeks before the pandemic hit, so it was like a weird time. Um, but otherwise, you know, this was watching raging bull. I think it was the one that just came out. Either it was either right after tax driver or soon after um, I got to rewatch it because what a dense movie. Like it's so, there's so much stuff going on and I don't want to always compare things to like, I saw this thing recently and it's just like that, but I mean, my God, like I couldn't help, but you know, the Sopranos, a lot of people say, oh, it's like influenced by Godfather 2 and a lot of classic mafia films. Mm-hmm. fellas, certainly the first season. I saw a lot of raging bull in the Sopranos, particularly Tony's yeah. character, his entire relationship dynamic with his family, with his, bro- with his family brother Mello. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that sort of thing, and I think like if uh, Jake LaMotta, my God, De Niro's Jake LaMotta is such like De Niro's in the zone in this movie. It's incredible. Like his like has has an actor ever looked as jacked and as physically intense as him? <laughs> and and in the, the boxing boxing scenes, boxing like he's cut. He's he's just shredded. Like he's so yeah. ripped and he's he's so monstrous. And in the physical acting, like I think he had to gain weight throughout the movie when he's playing like the older Jake LaMotta, and like it reminded me a lot of like late season Sopranos, where like Tony's like mental health and how he's manifesting in him. You know being more aggressive to his family mm. and hurting and killing his family and, and pushing away his wife and ruining his relationship that she's trying to rebuild and I saw so much of that in this movie and it yeah. was it was so dense. oh my god Joe Pesci's Joey's so good in it like the so part the where
2: they fight me like dr- pulls him out of the house
1: and yeah like, there, oh, there's Jesus. so many layers because you know we kind of see him as this kind of like he's like the good guy but like he's he's got a lot of trauma to himself too he's like beating up people like he's we, there's so much going on behind the scenes like and oh my god the scene near the end where he's arrested in jail and he's just screaming and punching the wall like I was like i was like this is like the best physical acting like i've ever seen like i I couldn't believe it so good the score is great the boxing scenes are electric it's shot so well um that gotta be said though it's a movie exploring a pretty violent monstrous man who's like he's got a total like jealous rage for women in his life he's like kind of a he's he's just monstrous in boxing he beats everyone up he's it, it's it might be hard for some people to watch if you couldn't tolerate the tony Carmella fights and yeah. sopranos this movie is basically yeah. that times 100 for like 2 hours so you probably really I, like this i movie. i liked it but per-
2: pers- I, I really like raging bulls the film but i i don't think i could watch it again i think once was it's yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I want to watch very, it again because yeah, intense, I want to watch yeah.
1: it again because there's so much stuff going on. Like it was so hard. to I was pretty big when I watched it. That some movies <laughs> you watch big, have a good time. That one I was like, I'm so confused. But I really want to want to rewatch it because there's so many layers to it. But yeah, it's it's a tough watch. Like it's Taxi Driver by contrast, a movie that I can relate to. I felt like you know Travis Bickle is pretty monstrous, but like there was a lot to his character where you're like, this is a character affected by you know his circumstance of his upbringing being a, a war veteran traumatized and there's a little bit of like a redemption arc a little bit to his character and it's a little bit you could sympathize with whereas like, on jake Lamont is just a fucking monster like he's yeah. just so unwatchable and even in the end he's so sneezy yeah. at this like nightclub comedian oh yeah he's so creepy and gross oh my god but it's so well done by de niro it's like my god i i, I again I, I had gaps and never seen a lot of the good de niro stuff and i now i watch like this like recent shit or like the war with grandpa. I'm like, what happened? You were a contender. You could have like, what is what happened to you? You were <laughs> nonstop hits. You were in the zone for instead like, of a bum, which years. is what I am.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my God. But uh yeah, I really, I really dug it. It's it's one of my favorites I've seen this year, but it was just very dense, like it's not Ooh. something you just watch and be like, I know, understood and got all the themes and motifs that movie. I'll it's yeah, like, it's I'm gonna deep. have to probably go back and check it out. Uh, to wrap up, um, I don't know if the Mayfair they do their like secret movie showings. Um, I guess I'll just spoil it because I don't think they listen to this podcast, but uh, their uh, their cinema, Saturday at Cinema was the uh, Ir- uh, irreverence, uh, recently released on Vinegar Syndrome. I gotta say, like, I really respect Vinegar Syndrome, they do these restorations of a lot of really cheesy sleazy movies some of them are literally like sex like uh, adult movies um i'm not into the movies particularly but i I know they do a really good job with the restorations and they get like commentary and special effects they they do the work um they're just not really my thing and and frankly there's a whole there's a whole sect of like film bros who are like very very (laughs) heavily into like red letter media and they just exclusively watch like shitty like b movies and sleazy movies and like that's kind of their whole personality and like you know as a kid like as a teenager i watched the room and i, I dug it i laughed yeah that was once really know- was enough.
2: once was enough yeah
1: <laughs> yeah there's there, there's like a whole sect of film guys who like they that's just a personality they just watch these movies oh, all man. the whole time and i'm just like i'm not really into that but um i did enjoy watching champion and bullets in the theater with a crowd of people that were just like laughing along it's pretty mm. bad um kind of little funny history of this movie this movie came out in 93 it was um it was Champagne of Bullets and 99 Minute Cuts. Uh, the cast, it's got John DeHart. He's like a lawyer who like, totally self funded this movie. It's like a Tommy Wiseau. Kit figure he just somehow stumbles upon all this like millions of dollars and it's like a total ego project um he's horrendous in this movie it's really bad very sleazy but uh, he's in it wings who i love he's a he's in this movie and i'm pretty sure he's actually drunk in a scene where he's drunk in the movie and he's just rambling about hamlet totally funny as hell uh he's just rambling at the end he's just like oh fuck i'm shittered right now and i was just cracking up we were laughing so hard um william smith who i really like he's in this i'm um, really crusty in this as he got later in his years but he's really good uh the these movies are all just a who's who's of just like playboy models, like Lisa Boyle, Pamela Bryant, uh, you know, they're trying their best, but they're not the best actresses and they're pretty much just there to take their clothes off more or less. But the, this movie is like a 99 minute cut. It was the recent recently compiled one on vinegar syndrome. Um, it was actually also released. Um, originally it was a cut called road to revenge this movie has like three different titles it was road to revenge a 75 minute cut that took up pretty much ev- all the sex and nudity in the movie um, and then there was a, a third cut that was the one released on vhs which most people know because they've watched like the red letter media best of the worst youtube series called get even all in one word get even uh mm-hmm. in 93 on tape and that's the one that was featured on that program uh, that one's unique because it has an extended like 20 minute 30 minute sequence where he's just like Hit. it's supposed to be training but he's just like punching a punching bag and then in the middle he just stops to feed his poodle butter and it's just like this really awkward moment but uh the one we watched was the full cut I gotta say the full cut um it's it's if you watch like I think if you watch like get even it's a little bit more tolerable because but when you watch the extended cut it's the the sequences we were all laughing along like the really bad like the room shit and there's a whole scene called the shitty slide where he's just singing the song and it's it's so bad it's good but it, there's just so much sleaze to it like there's like even that shimmy side slide scene that everyone knows where everyone's laughing right after he gets off stage this woman goes off and starts like take off her clothes it's the same song but she's like dancing for like fucking like 10 minutes i'm like it basically turns the movie into like a softcore porn so i was like uh, that part was kind of gross and uh oh my god we're gonna get into the last movie i watched which really features this but there's a there's a moment where they like you know a lot of really bad sleazy exploitations would use rape as kind of like a character trope to be like oh this kid is bad because he just and it's done really flippantly that happens in this movie and i'm like what the fuck it's so bad it's the movie has so much sleaze to it. I would not recommend anyone watch this movie. <laughs> if you're it's if not. you're one of those if you're one of those guys who really like gets off on watching sleazy like movies like that, watch the Get Even version, the one that came out. You can probably find it on YouTube or on a video site. Watch that one. If you really like it, maybe check this one out. But I really would not recommend anyone watch it. I did enjoy watching it and laughing out loud and being like, "What the fuck?" with a crowd of people who were who were into it. But uh, I wouldn't want to watch this by myself. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was a really good watch. And that kind of leads me to my last one, which was another uh, really hard to watch one. Uh, Belladonna of Sadness. I watched this in the Criterion channel. They have their art house fair, a whole bunch of uh, really good kind of eclectic animated films. This is one that I haven't been listed to watch for a while uh it's uh it was uh, directed by i'm sorry i'm going very long but it was directed by uh uh ichi Yamamoto, who's like a really famous in the realm of japanese animation kind of proto anime he did like astro boy direct astro boy directed kimba the white lion so he's kind of a main figure this kind of came at the end of a trilogy where he did a bunch of kind of like animated adult animated cartoons in japan um this one is sort of um it's it's again it's it's a Japanese animated film, but it's not like anime. It's this whole film is kind of a sequence of mostly still like watercolor and sketchings with a little bit of like, psychedelic animation stuff thrown. It's very uh, much a product of its time in the 70s. It's a retelling of like the Jules Michelet, the Satanism and Witchcraft novel. It's sort of the story set in like France in, in that in that period of time. This character Jeanne, she's like a, a peasant woman getting married to her husband, Jean. Uh, on their wedding day this baron who's like the baron of this town shows up and he rapes her and it's pretty fucking brutal and honestly uh I don't really talk a lot to talk about much of the subject matter of this movie because this movie is like two hours long and pretty much the first 40 minutes are just this this woman being like raped and treated terribly by all the men in her life done I will say done through mostly surrealist animation stuff so it's a little bit tolerable because like it's not like you're watching really like violent hardcore shit but it's it's all done through a lot of surrealism and a lot of nudity if you remember uh super bad the sequence where he's like i wrote the book called the penises that's basically this movie like <laughs> an animated style like it's it's so phallic the devil appears and he's like this character who's like animated like a literal dong and it's like I, it's like it's like, Be- it's like beavis and butthead druid or something <laughs> my i don't want to sound sanctimonious like i watch a lot of crazy gross shit and i can tolerate most of it but like I'm, I'm reading comments online on Letterboxd of like guys giving this movie five stars being like this isn't porn this is a work of art I'm like mm. honestly there was a whole discourse on Twitter of like what are red flag movies and women be like oh if he likes Fight Club it's a red flag movie I'm like if he likes this movie that's a red flag movie because this movie is fucking yeah. brutal as hell and it's like almost unwatchable for 50 minutes and then finally she makes it packed with the devil and then it's like uh, it's kind of like a revenge oh she slept with the devil so now she's in power and like there's a lot of i've been re- i was reading a lot of like social readings of it like kind of from a feminist perspective of how like people saying this movie is actually like a, it is a feminist movie because it's sort of like her owning her sexuality and kind of embracing it and it's kind of inspiring the village and it's kind of like the movie adds in this thing at the end where it's like her her expressing herself it, it kind of led to like the french revolution or, i don't know but uh to me, I, I don't see what's empowering about someone being raped for 40 minutes and then mm. coming to the devil, his penis, and then it's like, now you're empowered because he took the devil. I don't know. That was kind of gross to me. And I'm like, I would never want to watch this with like anyone in my life because I, I felt gross watching it at home. I was like, ugh, but uh animation of the up, issue was- okay. Yeah, animation was incredible. Like It's uh, so good, you, you know, I could see why this was in Criterion because it does, the animation, it's unlike any other animated movie you ever seen. Uh, even the end sequence with this kind of, I, I would say, especially it got a lot better after like kind of the opening misery of the first 40 minutes where it kind of the animation really blows up and it gets very colorful and psychedelic. And it was it was really cool. But yeah, the subject matter, was just like, not my thing, uh, sorry. I'm not one of these film bros who's just like gets off on these like- Yeah, they'll give, movies, they'll, give but, anything, uh, they'll give anything five stars, you know? It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> but uh yeah animation wise was cool i would say if you could tolerate that sort of subject matter maybe check it out because it it certainly does have art to it but it uh, wasn't my thing so uh, a bit of a bummer to end on but that was me uh curtis what did you read and watch this yeah week? so
2: I, I didn't watch too much so i'll be short and sweet so i, I narrowed it down to three so i, I watched uh, halloween two as i mentioned too, the uh, 1981 film that kind of continues right off where uh, the original halloween left off so you have a uh, kind of well a bit of a spoiler alert but michael kind of going uh just mysteriously vanishing and and dr loomis kind of wanders around and says oh, has all these crazy soliloquies again um it, it was it was okay like there's things i liked about it too i mean as a sequel it, it was okay actually some of it was quite kind of boring in terms of pacing too so basically Lori goes to this hospital and then michael myers stalks her to this hospital Had some pretty cool kills, so it's kind of more slasher slasher film uh had one of my favorite uh, scenes was uh there's this guy with a michael myers mask and Ms. Dr. loomis is about to shoot him and then he gets like hit, hit by a car and then he like gets set on fire and i was like what's what's happening here but i mean the, the kill's really entertaining there's a really gross kill with the jacuzzi too where you stick someone's face in the jacuzzi and it's fucking gross but i mean it was a lot more like kind of uh 80s style you know slasher than you know the original um But yeah, I mean, uh, the pacing was a little bit slow. The last 20 minutes are really good too because they have that kind of confrontation between Laurie and and Michael. And then you you find out that, you know, Laurie is actually related to to Michael Myers. I don't think that's a spoiler because I think that's pretty well known. Uh, But yeah, it was okay. Um, I think in terms of, it has a really cool movie poster too. So I watched both films as like a double bill and it had a really cool movie poster where like, yeah. It's like a kind of it's a like skull, skull
1: pumpkin or something. Skull pumpkin. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's really cool. So, I mean, if you watched, you know, just for for that, you know, just for the cover, I mean, it's, 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 it's entertaining, I think. And I also watched, um, I, I really like Bob Ross. I think who doesn't. Um, I watched the Bob Ross documentary, on Netflix, Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal and, and Greed. And we all know kind of his legacy and his brand and everything too. And seeing him on mm-hmm. TV too, this looks at like kind of the darker side too. So they had these uh, unscrupulous, uh, uh, I guess, business partners called the Kowalskis and they basically fucked him over and his whole family too and apparently he was like a really genuine guy in real life too this looks like the darker side of it too they kind of uh, exploited his brand bland, brand and then they wouldn't give rights to his uh uh to his son and then they took all the rights from him Bob Ross himself when he was dying too uh, but it shows his life too and I didn't really know too much about his actual personal life too um but yeah he just seemed like he was a general genuine guy in real life too so I mean, it made me love Bob Ross more, but it made me hate the Kowalski's even more too. But it is, we're checking out if you guys have uh, time on, on on Netflix. And I watched, uh, I didn't, well, I didn't watch one. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I read the book. I think Quinn's Quinn's reading it right now too. Um, I actually, I, I love the movie. I didn't like the book actually, because I thought I would. And I can picture, you know, Quentin Tarantino with this bulbous head, you know, like write, writing on a typewriter, writing a book and be like, imagine being in the sixties, you know, with Sharon Tate and Bruce fucking Lee. Look at him, look uh, at yeah. You know, but, but you know, <laughs> but, you know Bruce, Bruce Lee was a bit of a fucking dick, you know, <laughs> I can picture him <laughs> writing. And, <laughs> That's pretty, pretty good pressure. Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, it's a lot of like kind of deleted scenes from the film, which I don't yeah. know, like, I, I, I think what Quentin Tarantino does so well as a filmmaker is he's very visual too. I think it, cinema is his medium i think as a, as a writer it's not bad writing it's just like i didn't know like what the, narr- the plot was and i didn't know what the narrative was and it's just yeah i don't know it kind of like it was a lot it felt very self-indulgent he'll go on for like pages and pages of like you know like uh you know alternative uh 60s uh production companies or something and, <laughs> and it's just like well i don't really care about that you know and i just uh yeah, so i didn't really know where he was going with it and i felt it was it felt like kind of a montage of kind of deleted scenes from the film and it just yeah, as a book, I don't think, I don't know what, how you felt about it, Ben. I don't know if you finished it yet, but. Yeah,
0: no, I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't particularly like it. I just found it more more. Yeah,
2: or, yeah or, me, me too. I was shocked because I'm like, I had so much fun with the movie. I love the movie, but you know, maybe just the book didn't do it for me. Maybe it's just the, the visual yeah. medium of film, so.
1: Uh, yeah, I yeah. snippets in the book and I was kind of like, this is wild. Like some of the yeah. descriptions were like, yeah, well, had, I think had he been, was describing Shannon Tate as like very buxom and it's like, yeah. in real life, she yeah. wasn't even bucks like yeah, she's quite, thin, you, doing, you know, man? she's beautiful. Yeah, like,
2: I, have you guys seen the, have you guys seen the fearless vampire killers? She's in that I kind of like, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it yeah, it's Roman Polanski is in it. And I know he's a controversial director, but, uh, she's in it too. And, and I, mean, I just fell in love with Sharon Tate when I watched it. It's kind of like a, it's a vampire film in 69, but it's like, or maybe it's 67. I don't Yeah. 67. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a horror comedy and it's really, it's really funny and really stupid, but it's great. So yeah, that's, that's all I have. So cool. Uh, cool.
1: All right. Well, uh, good discussion guys. Uh, great to chat with you guys again. Uh, um, I yeah. guess we'll just say for our audience, uh, we got some stuff coming up. I think, uh, I'm not sure what order we're gonna do things. So we might throw in like a, a another roundtable discussion, like we did with Stephen King. I think we were gonna do our favorite yeah. car chase however you want to frame it movies. Well, we'll see. That might be coming up soon. We're going to continue, of course, our Carpenter series. Actually, I think I I did the order of this. I think this one actually came up before Halloween, but like a little bit before, but they kind of were going on differently at the same time. But uh, the made for TV movie Someone's Watching Me, we're going to be talking about that one. Uh, Hard to find online, but I was able to track a copy of it, so I'll have to pass it around to you guys so we can uh, discuss it. Yeah, great. That'd be Um, awesome. We're also going to be discussing another canon series, uh, Curtis's canon, one of his favorite movies. We're talking about Into the Wild, a movie that you uh, one I think it's your very, favorite movie. very, or one d- of very, favorite very dear to my heart yeah my favorite movie <laughs> so excited to talk about that and uh yeah we got some October stuff coming up I've I'm looking at our schedule I put like little placeholders in for the month of October so depending when we release and you know we have we're going to be constrained for time but depending when we release them um, when we start recording October we're going to be doing some sort of horror themes I mean we've been doing a lot of horror recently it's like oh it's like a halloween it's like oh we're doing a horror now it's like well all right so much for that but uh we're going to be probably taking a look at some some sort of series or franchise and horror for halloween and in that mode so stay tuned for that and uh yeah we're going to have other stuff coming up if you've got ideas that uh, you guys at home and the audience if you're interested in what we're watching or have ideas for topics let us know we would love to uh feature some of those and we're always down at least I think we're all pretty much down to watch whatever I'm pretty open-minded to watch whatever and kind of make our own judgments there so uh, anything else you guys want to plug or mention before we uh wrap things up uh, nothing for me
0: yeah no I, I, don't, I don't think anything for me either um yeah we'll definitely discuss what we'll uh do in in the, in the next few weeks but yeah looking looking forward to uh looking forward to diving into the uh the old spooky
1: stuff especially yeah, you know spooky, spooky spooktober's coming up yeah all right uh stay safe everyone audience out there you know keep your doors locked at night uh you know keep uh not, put your knife safely away and uh you know <laughs> make sure to look behind you when you go out watch uh, out for those weird mask guys uh, michael myers <laughs> <laughs> might the shade might be looming behind you anyway <laughs> <like that>. uh, <laughs> all right thanks so much audience see you all next time